0: The year is 1981. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year.
1: Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club, where we cover all of Marvel's best stories from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and alongside Dave, the founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald, this is the only comic book podcast where both hosts are currently suffering from Aunt May syndrome. That's Dave. right. A lot
0: of people don't know this about podcasting, um, but one of you if one of you gets sick, at yeah. least one of you has to be on Aunt May's perpetual deathbed. Hashtag yep. TM uh, at any given time. And Zach was, I, I got to say, gracious enough. This is one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. He said, it's my turn. And he <laughs> carried me gently off of Aunt mates perpetual sickbed. And he laid down himself. So this is now uh, your turn to be to be terribly ill. And, I mean, a lot of you that have been listening for a while know this. But Zach and I live uh, in different states. Practically yes, in different yeah. countries. Mm-hmm. And, um it, it, we are not close to each other, so germs pass through this sort of, uh, what do they call it between Cyclops and Jean Grey? A, a psychic rapport that we mm-hmm. share, doing so many podcasts together, and you have now inherited the terrible illness that was holding me back. So I'm jazzed and super ready to go, and you told me before the show you've maybe um, never felt so bad.
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm okay now. <laughs> this week has yep. been pretty rough, but like it is the longest I've been sick. In my adult recollection, like, I took the entire week off of work all five days, which I don't think I've ever taken more than two before, <laughs> so, like, it, was, it it sucked. Uh, glad to be on the other side of it now. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure, I think probably the only thing is left is my voice is just a little not here, so I might not be uh, quite as chatty as, as usual, but, um, I mean, it's pretty
0: normal. Like, I'm usually not that talkative on the show. It's usually you who uh,
1: can't stop talking. <sighs>
0: Yeah, yeah, we do get a lot of feedback. And hey, that reminds me, if you like the show or want to comment about who's talking too much, go on over to iTunes and please (laughs) consider rating and reviewing. I specifically, we're going to do a little challenge here. Uh, If you could rate and review us in February of 2020, which is when we are recording this, I would like a note about who talks more. (laughs) <laughs> dave or zach within your hopefully positive review but seriously it does help us a lot thanks to those of you who have considered rated uh rating and reviewing um wow my tenses are mm. my mm-hmm. days of future tense on that one know what All i'm right. saying All so right. let's talk about it that's what we're getting into marvel comics of 1981 baby we are going to do today reading lists are in the show notes. You can find them over on uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash year, Or, of course, I always email them out through Comic Book Herald. There's a lot of places you can find them. If you don't know where to find them, contact us at Year or MyMarvelThisYear at gmail.com. Today, we'll be talking about Captain America in a Baron Blood Saga, Frank Miller's Daredevil kicking off in earnest, The Uncanny X Men and Dave's of Future's X, and a bunch of other cool stories, <laughs> and two annuals Avengers Annual number 10 and Thor Annual number 9. This is a loaded, loaded front half of 1981 so unless we have further updates i think we should dig right in yeah yeah let's jump in okay so we've got captain, captain america, america number 253 yeah. to 254 this is a roger stern and john byrne production i mm-hmm. think we've been uh you know we've been enjoying their work together on kind yeah, of this definitely. mini run that they have stretched out what did you think zach of the vampire tale Baron blood in the uk
1: uh it's good it's good, I mean, like John Byrne John Byrne makes these so easy to read. his art just is like mm-hmm. so light. it's got such a nice light touch that it it kind of makes um, I don't know, I just i like I like hanging out in his comics so much that um like it doesn't even matter if i mean, this story's totally fine. I don't think it's the like most fascinating thing, but um, yeah, yeah, no, i I generally enjoyed this. I'm gonna j- not think to, Byrne's
0: like, art is is so clean. Yeah, consistent yeah. in a way that like he doesn't do the flashy stuff no, of no, some no, of the no, artists no. that we're going to be more excited about the like Frank Miller or Bill Sienkiewicz certainly um but everything he does it just it sort of comes to define just like very clean visual storytelling um you know I think of his Fantastic Four or his Ben Grimm like Ben just always looks good and that's actually a really sort of tedious character to draw when you think about it. You know, mm-hmm. like all yeah. those lines and all those bricks you got to color in and ink. And here he's got Joe Rubenstein and inks. Um, yeah, it's just it's great stuff. Obviously, Byrne is well known. Stern, I think, is also kind of known for I think workmanlike can be used as a criticism or as a positive, And I'm using it here as a positive, like if Roger Stern's doing Marvel Universe stories, they are going to be just a baseline level of quality that yeah. is yeah, that agree. is very, very welcome if you enjoy, just again, like you said, kind of hanging out in this world. Yeah. Um, So in 253 and 254, we get, it's a big kind of flashback issue uh, where Cap is visiting some old invaders allies in the UK. He's visiting uh, the man who was Union Jack and uh, Spitfire as well, and they're older now, which allows Cap to sort of, you know, he hasn't change today but he's got these you know former heroes i guess the hero title doesn't go away who are now uh living but they have aged you know since since world war ii and obviously are no longer the people they once were
1: yes can we just sorry not not to like derail that can we just talk about the opening scene which is just it's like a liquor store robbery or something okay it's not that interesting overall like he does this uh he like stares down the glad uh, you're bringing it up then there's one <laughs> really thing that's on really funny, which is that, like, at the end, he, he stops this guy from sticking up the uh, the store, and uh-huh. he's in a hurry to get to a date, so he just tosses, he he disarms the robber, and then he tosses the handgun to the shop owner, and is just like, here, keep this trained on him, I gotta go, <laughs> and runs yeah, off, and then yeah. the last panel is just, like, the shopkeep, you know, pointing a gun at the, uh, the head of the, the, the robber, and like, thanks, Captain America, I'll keep him here till the police show up. <laughs> In yeah. America. It's just like I got a I got a hot date with Bernie Rosenthal.
0: That's definitely one of those um vigilanteism in the in the very fictional sense, mm-hmm. you know, as yeah. opposed to yeah. like now if you were going to Read a 2020. Hey, we better get real. Punisher comic. You know, like that's a very obviously we don't talk about this a lot, but like sort of pre Watchmen, post Watchmen takes on superheroics. That's uh-huh. such a good example of a pre Watchmen thing. Where it's oh, I mean,
1: like, it's, it's it's done totally like straight face, just like yeah, of course this guy. That's just be how posted. it is. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, it's
0: funny, right. And also, I just want to point
1: out, I really like Bernie Rosenthal. I don't know why. Yeah, I like Cap's like,
0: private life here. I think we've said that yeah, a few times, but Bernie I, I've heard in particular some people... is like a really good romantic interest for him.
1: Yeah, she is. She's she's really fun. I like their dynamic. She's like kind of attracted to him for like being this old fashioned guy in an, an era of, you know, like artists and hippies. Uh, she like she kind of like well, every time you know, she goes over he's... to
0: his apartment, he's like. Hey, have you heard the latest forty two uh jazz <laughs> ensemble? Campbell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, And she's okay. like, Steve, you listen to such old music. Do you have some sort of secret? And he's like, What? No, I'm just regular Steve Rogers, artist by day and artist by night also. <laughs> very, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's very uh, funny.
1: Yeah, I like I like them. There's um in nineteen eighty three, I think, uh JM D- I think. JM Dimateus. That's he's a fun way cool to s- say that. Dematius? How do you say that?
0: I'd say Dematius, but as has been proven time and time again on My Marvelous Year, we have no idea how to say Mm. these people's names, so let us know.
1: Yeah, Um, He's going to take over Captain America and do a run that I absolutely love, and I'm going to strong-arm Dave with this strong-arm Dave. Oh, he's showing
0: me... Now, you guys don't know this, but zach has got his hair down, he's got a beard rolling, and he just flexed. It's an intimidation Mm -hmm. strategy.
1: 1984. Watch out for it, listeners. That is the year Zach's greasy little fingerprints are going to be all over the My Marvelous Year list, because Alpha Flight?
0: Well, you're going to be able to tell. It's going to be
1: obvious. No, there... Okay, so there's actually... There's some great Captain America issues in 1984, that I just happened to stumble across last time. I was, like, just randomly reading some Captain America um, mm-hmm. that I think we really should talk about. There's some, like, big historical stuff in there. So, um, yeah, I, I really I really like the direction Captain America is taking now, and he's just going to keep
0: getting more interesting as the 80s goes on. Anyway, back now, to this. Are you talking about You're- the House of the Skull? Oh, no, I, I, include, I include some J.M. Cap in 1984, the House of the yeah. Skull stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, but you no. you like some eighty three stuff. All right, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about. We can it, but we can figure that out. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, this he's in the UK at the behest of the old Union Jack, who's who's kind of the an old Union man Jack who lives a on a, a
0: nice manor out there. He's very um he's very Lord Grantham down in Abbey, mm, I mm-hmm, think. You know, mm-hmm. right? He's got the <laughs> the big old rich heritage, however that works over there in the UK. Um. But they have they're telling Cap the return of Baron Blood, who was a villain of theirs, a vampiric villain, are these, so are a, these... a Nazi vampire at that. <laughs> yeah, right. Are, are these uh, and from they're saying, hey, we think Golden
1: Age, Captain America, or are these from the Invaders? Like, I didn't so, know if these were
0: all callbacks
1: to the 40s, or if these are, like, yeah. just trying to link in the the contemporary
0: Invaders series. The Roy Thomas 70s re-kickoff mm-hmm. of the Invaders. I, genuinely, I don't know. Um, okay. Because I have not read either of those super closely, so I... I take it as kickbacks to Kirby Simon era Captain America stories. There's like some stuff um, But that stuff actually makes me really want to read the Nazi vampire that they might have done in <laughs> yeah. in the 40s, you know?
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of like funny little winks to uh, the other villains that they were fighting. And they're just like, Asbestos Man and
0: yeah, yeah. The
1: Face. <laughs> all these like really funny names that it's like Silver Scarab. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm curious about all those. Anyway, so Union Jack has a brother named Baron Blood, who mm-hmm. was
0: a Nazi scientist who tried to... <laughs> Which, like, bold, if you're the parents there, and <laughs> and you're in the hospital, and you're like, what do we want to call him? Uh, I don't know, Baron Blood? <laughs> like, bold <laughs> naming strategy there on that kid. I feel like he was maybe doomed from the start.
1: That's that's a good point. He, he wants to, like, channel the power of Dracula, like, mm-hmm. use it for the Nazi war effort, but, you know, you can't just... <laughs> unstake dracula and not expect him to bite you and that's exactly what happens so he becomes a nazi a, a nazi vampire yeah and he literally pulls thing. a
0: stake out of dracula's corpse yeah uh, they're, they're origin, really getting into like here.
1: the rules of vampirism here right they're talking about like the only way you could kill a vampire is separating its head from its body you could stake it yeah but that doesn't like kill it that just you know at one point uh Captain America pulls the stake from what they think is Baron Blood's body. And the, the police uh-huh. inspector is just like, no, he'll revive. Which I like that even the police are aware of, you know, yeah, vampire yeah. rules here. Do you know um, Baron
0: Blood was a 1972 Italian horror film? I did not. I feel like that's a, a My Marvelous Year uh, special, is to watch a 1972 Italian horror film.
1: Who's the Who's the director?
0: I was going to say, who's the I thought you were going to ask who's the audience for that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> well, that <nobody>. too, but... <laughs> I, I couldn't okay. tell you. I oh, just, okay. I thought you had it. You. Have a small little tidbit. Directed um, by Mario Bava. Okay. a bell? Yeah. Nope. Don't know Big Bava guy. <laughs> no. Now you um, you are a leader of the Bava Clavas, the fan club for Mario <laughs> Bava, right? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs>
1: There's some like those old uh, those old Italian slasher like hyper gory special effects horror movies that I like, like Dario mm-hmm. Argento stuff like that. So I I thought it might be a name I know. Um. Okay. Anyway, Another this, quick this, tidbit. He was. Yeah. Baron really blood f- was
0: created by Roy Thomas and Frank Robbins in 1976's the invaders. Okay. So he is right. not an actual golden age creation, although he is a modern reinterpretation of, of what those invaders timeline would have looked like. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's kind of like a Jack the Ripper meets a vampire story where there's this villain out there. It's, you know, a question of, okay, who is he actually? Is it actually Baron blood? Nobody really wants to admit that it might be the return of this vampire Union Jack in his elderly state is nonetheless certain that it is his evil brother. And the issue ends, two fifty three ends on an amazing cliffhanger, <laughs> which is Baron Blood straight biting Cap right in the neck. It's good. And
1: stuff. then, <laughs> and then the next issue, uh, it, it's not like any kind of big outside occurrence that stops this from happening. It's that he bites him in the neck, but Captain America has he's wearing that like chainmail. Like his his outfit is made of like chainmail, basically, and it covers his necks. So so this vampire just bites down onto straight metal and it's just like, oh, oh, my fangs. Ow. And then, uh, and that's it. And then, uh, he escapes. Yeah. Yeah, he gets a toothache.
0: And, uh, he escapes. It turns out it is not actually the brother of, um, of Union Jack here, I think. Baron Blood. No, no, it is. It's him.
1: He, uh, he just is disguising himself as the Doctor. He, like, killed oh, the original right, right. Doctor. Yeah, he killed to kill- be a Doctor. Yeah. He's not
0: actually the Doctor. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, big it's picture. The, uh, is there a, is it a huge, you know, like, change in the Marvel Universe? No. Nonetheless, just good, solid Cap issues again from yeah, I, mean, he, I enjoy this one. It's he fun He
1: decapitates to the vampire with his shield at the end. He, like, has oh, him yeah, to the ground and slams... Oh, yeah, we should talk about he that. Slams, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he slams yeah, his so shield cap down on his neck. Yeah, so definitely think of...
0: Right, like certainly in this era you would think Captain America does not kill, right? I I don't think we really have many, maybe there's some conversations around the fact that like he was a man in war, he was in World War II, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it comes up occasionally, but definitely in the way he apprehends villains and whatnot, encountering, let's say, I don't know, the constrictor, he doesn't chop his head off with a shield, not really his style. With vampiric barren blood though, that is exactly what he does, kind of a a harsh turn for steve rogers i would say i mean it's like kind um, of
1: he's both a vampire and a nazi so like they don't oh i don't fault him for the move but <laughs> it's not what you would yeah. think of
0: him doing in this era i don't
1: at yeah least I don't yeah, like yeah. It. it is a little surprising but i think they kind of like i feel like they hand wave it away by saying like he's not exactly a human anymore he's just a, you know he's a monster right like yeah sure so yeah 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 I, I i would be very surprised if this was like an actual man he did this too i feel like they get away with it or you know at least try to rationalize it by saying that he's you know the supernatural monster now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the for there's, sure the the one other thing i wanted to bring up is that there's um in this house is spitfire who used to be a superhero alongside them um she's an older woman now she's lost her powers in the meantime but yeah there, there's one little tidbit which is that she gets her powers from getting a blood transfusion from the original android human torch, which really made yeah, me realize right. I have no idea what they mean when they use the word android. Uh, because the he fact
0: a... that he would have blood to transfuse, right? right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought he was like yeah. a robot.
0: Yeah, that, that robot. takes some some interesting suspension of brain. <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. So she, that's ja- <laughs> that's Jacqueline Fallsworth. She is the original Spitfire. She's another Invader's creation from the '70s series. I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah um, Her powers. I think. I believe it's that. You know, she uh, Spitfire. She can move fast. I think. It sh- I think she gets super speed. She's very flashy. Uh, you know, I do actually like the bit of psychology they weave in here. Th- this idea of the aging heroine in this case, who like. You know, I, I used to be a part of this and now I'm not. And she like she looks at Steve Rogers and she's like, you know, it's it's this feeling of sort of nostalgia, but also like depression in that, wow, he gets to look exactly the same. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, in my 50s and 60s now and yeah, that's, that's can't always the things I used to. I, when, I actually think, that, that you know, they don't really he... dig into it. Yeah, but it's interesting. I, I like interesting when Captain America runs into people
1: he knew back when you know right. and like they're they're having to reckon with that right he's this like reminder of time's passage um and i mean he's he in the middle of this is like when he goes to britain he is just surrounded by people who either know him from back when or who have grown up hearing the stories of him and he's walking in there you know like still very much the the legend of the 40s um mm-hmm. i think i think mm-hmm. all that's really interesting yeah Yeah. Speaking Uh, of really interesting, the next series on our list is
0: Daredevil, number 168 to number 172. Now, I should be very clear, the My Marvelous Year reading list is specially curated to pick out a a semi-manageable chunk of comics that we can read and dissect as a club together. Daredevil by Frank Miller, every single issue here is recommended reading, right? We are in Run territory where, much like Uncanny X-Men with Claremont and Byrne and Dave Cockrum, I would say just read all of it if you're enjoying it. Same with John Byrne on Fantastic Four. These are all really good runs. That said, you know, I try to break it into distinct chop uh, chunks where possible. So this is where things kick off with issue number 168. We have Frank Miller, Klaus Janssen, together at last, working on D.D. And the story begins by introducing Electra. She is Matt Murdock's former love interest. She comes into the scene. She is now a sort of ninja assassin. And we like almost he does immediately this, he does this get cool the origin story. In,
1: yeah, well, he does this like really cool introduction where Daredevil is chasing down some perp, trying to get information out of him because he needs to like find mm-hmm. a witness, something like that. And then, like, Mm -hmm. in the middle of it, this woman shows up. We get no explanation of her, right? Like, she just shows up. She's got this, you know, this incredible design. She kind of mirrors Daredevil a lot in her color scheme. Like, she doesn't... They almost look like they were designed as a pair, which is interesting.
0: As partners of a sort, Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um... And then she, like, what is it? I think she basically knocks Daredevil out and grabs the guy. I think she uh, she gets away with his witness, something like that. And Essentially, Daredevil they're going,
0: hunting the same witness yeah, they're, they're, in this, this criminal exactly. case. And he, and he gets the knocked unconscious. And then we different.
1: get this flashback to him in college where we, like, find out how he knows her. It's just, like, it's a smart way of immediately engaging this, right? Like building the mystery of who who she is first and then revealing it.
0: Yeah, and definitely when when we think of Daredevil now, I mean, this is the origin. We think of, like, you and I covered um, Daredevil's origins in the Ultimate Universe as part of our My Ultimate Year specials that we're doing uh, thanks to Patreon support over on Patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. Thanks, everybody. And, you know, in those Ultimate Universe origins, like, this is the story (laughs) people feel like they have to tell. Um, is is Matt and Electra meeting in college falling mm-hmm. for each other very quickly Matt Murdoch like almost immediately revealing the it, fact that he's blind but he's powered to Electra in order to impress her it's clear he's yeah, like, like he's like I'm going to get this up because I minutes. want you to fall for me <laughs> meeting Yeah yeah um and Electra as as the story goes she loses her father due to uh mob violence very in the I think it's actually the cops time period. that kill
1: him like
0: accidentally he he's being held
1: hostage and yeah. uh he like backs up to the window and the police think he's one of the terrorists or something and they shoot him. Yeah. Which is uh pretty pretty sad.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's that's when Electra sort of turns and and breaks, you know, breaks her to a point where she can never be with Matt on this side of, you know, the law will win out. She is going to be more of a vigilante in the maybe even Frank Castle Punisher vein and she seeks out the Hand who also get introduced during this time period the japanese sect of ninjas who have oh, some very mystical I don't think and supernatural they get components introduced at all here not in these issues okay. per se i may be okay. including other parts of the run but that is where she gets some of her power set there's a lot di- so this run yeah i don't i don't know anything about it starts about here at 168 that, so I don't, it's going to go think here at all okay it's going to run all the way to issue i think 191 yeah. Um, and then there's gonna be some jumping around a little bit, but uh, you know, it runs for a good long while, and through it, we do get stuff like the hand, stuff like stick, uh, as characters and concepts that are going to be integrated into these origins in a way that, like, Frank Miller's doing a lot of work here to make Daredevil becoming Daredevil, and and you know, in addition to just creating Electra from the ground up, like a lot more interesting, I think. Yeah, and it's really effective.
1: Yeah, it. Um, let me see what am I want to talk about first. Okay, so Electra, I think. Um. Electra is... Well, we, we cut back to modern-day Daredevil and Electra, like, basically, I don't know, they, they kind of come together at the end to fight the same bad guy. They triumph. Mm. They get a quick smooch. She realizes Daredevil is Matt Murdock, and then she runs off, right? So basically, like, yeah, things are still very much up in the air between the two of them. They're not really made... Con- have made that much contact, but... um. You know, there's this little moment of of reconciliation. I think Elektra is a great character and, like, also a great female character for the time, which is Mm -hmm. knowing Frank Miller's reputation, (laughs) it is really wild to say that, like, Frank Miller is has nailed a female introduction of a character or an introduction of a female character better than so much of Marvel, which is just I don't know. That's just kind of
0: a funny thing to say. Um, It definitely. So there's a if you're modern perception of Frank Miller is like 2010's comics internet that would not be something you would expect Even that said if, if you're if you're understanding of his body of work is like when he was at his best and becoming a star, you know, which is right now. And, and, you know, by, by the time we hit 1986, when he's dropping Daredevil born again in the same year as the dark Knight returns, like he's off the charts. Good. I'm not going to say he's out here like the most progressive writer of all time, but definitely he is, there's a lot more balance in his Daredevil run than, than again, like 2010, 10's comics internet would so lend the, you to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, yeah, the, 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 the thing that happened to him you know sin city (laughs) right like sin city is not the most like
0: well that's like early 90s even so i mean there's a and then his so his style let's just talk about it broadly because his style is to go grim and gritty right when we think of now and it can be used as a pejorative and it can also be used as something that's very appealing but he's getting into the grim and gritty underbelly of new york right so like everything we're looking at throughout this is it's kind of a dirty Filthy yep. New York. Yep, yep. Um, it's it's you know criminal underbelly. It's the kingpin eventually returning and owning criminal you know interactions in New York. It's a it's a world we haven't really lived in in the Marvel universe, right? Not, like yeah. even I mean, when it, we've it seen we've York seen City a lot of gangs very
1: differently. The I was just season. gonna say
0: we've seen a lot of gangs like in the pages of Spider Man, but Spider Man gangs are so much more friendly. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like there's a there's there's just that sort of comics buoyancy to them that yeah. d- like Frank's Daredevil gangs are more menacing and it's more about um you know sex workers and drugs and like you know the quote unquote real problems and that does except, genuinely feel
1: like a big change except he does a he also does a good job of keeping it somewhat in this like it's its own little world it's its own little comic booky world because I think, like, in the 90s, we're going to see a lot of this, even leaking into the early 2000s, where people try to make their world feel dark and gritty by just... Batman has this problem a lot, where they're, like, the street criminals are all, like, vicious, psychotic thugs. And it feels like, um, it feels very reactionary and in reaction to, you know, like, the media hyping of real-life crime. You know, it's got this thing of Mm. just, like, you know every pickpocket like they're not out here to steal because they don't have any other choice they're out here stealing because they like love the taste of blood right like every street criminal is the most like (laughs) psychotic monster you've ever met and now
0: they're eating people
1: and it feels like it is leaning into this, you know, like,
0: you know, I smoked I, potweed once and I just, I drank a gallon of blood for a week after that. <laughs> I <could not> stop. <laughs> right. It was very barren blood of me. I have. To yeah, say. and he, So he doesn't quite do that. I, I never get the feeling
1: that he's quite doing this thing where he's just like, you know, I don't get a, a touch of uh, him trying to make a point about crime and criminality. He's, he's purely using this, like in an aesthetic sense, um, just to build this, like this little world out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which, no, which I, I think, like, again. It's weird. Right, it's right. Just it's got, weird. Like it's Frank got Miller is just
1: vibes doing things that like are, have seemingly decent politics. <laughs> uh, see, I time.
0: don't, I, I, don't find it that weird. It's funny that you see it that I, way. I, I mean, it's I, just it, that perspective no, it and when you come like, to it. Yeah, exactly. I just, I have sure. such affection yeah. for this run, um, yeah. and I definitely read it before I had read a lot of the kind of you know the think pieces on on the man's career certainly because he's a you know he's a comics titan um you know i have frank miller's daredevil in its entirety ranked i just wrote this list and we were talking about it 12th on my 100 favorite superhero runs of all time oh yeah it's super great. high <laughs> oh, it's great. I mean. like i really love this work i mean the the other thing that, oh so i, I just want to finish what i was saying about electra
1: i don't i don't think she comes across as like an incredible female character because like In the way that having a fully fleshed out female character, there's there's this, like, I think there's this mistake people make sometimes in media criticism in saying that, like, oh, it's a powerful female character, which means that she's basically a woman, but with balls, you know? And, like, that is the beginning and end of making a powerful female character. is just, like, gender swap a tough guy. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, She's... Closer to that than being, like, a fully fleshed out female character. But even that, even just having a female character who is competent and, like, her own person and is not talking about the fact that she's a woman in a man's world and is not always being, like, talked down to, like, it's not being brought up (laughs) here, really. Mm Mm-hmm that in and of itself is like steps ahead of what Marvel is doing elsewhere. And he's already done this with Black Widow, like Black Widow already. Like he made her the most competent she's been so far. So I'm just like, I don't know, I'm pretty into this. And then the the thing overall that I think he's doing, these issues, they take a while to read because there's a lot going on in each one of them. Like I kept being surprised right. at how that I was only halfway through an issue because like so much had happened. But I think it's because yeah. he, he like he has trust in the reader that they will be able to like pick up the pieces that he is like he is leaving you know breadcrumbs for you to follow like he is is doing such competent storytelling that you can follow the story without him him needing to spoon feed it to you so he can just move Mm -hmm. from scene to scene and you know all the pieces are there for you to follow but like there's not text narration needing to like tell you exactly what's happening in each scene um oh okay so for example there's a scene here where uh captures that henchman and then later, yeah. the henchman calls into his boss to, like, basically say, like, hey, we caught Electra. you know, you should meet up with us here, like, I caught her, something like that. Electra is behind him, basically, like, forcing him to make this phone call. We don't get any text about that, right? Like, all that we get is the visual indication... Is that like she is standing behind him when we see that he's making the phone call. That's like really sure. simple storytelling stuff. I just feel like no one else in Marvel would do that without having to like have a scene set up her saying, like, okay, now you're gonna make the phone call and tell them exactly what I wanna hear. Like, he just, you know, assumes like, I'm gonna show you what's happening and you're gonna understand it, and I don't need to tell you. And that way he can mm-hmm. just put so much like story in this. It's it's really massive. Yeah, that's stuff. an interesting
0: call out. I do think kind of across Marvel, you know, we've talked about being excited. For the 80s and being excited for this era of comics and creators. I think there's a one of the maybe more things that all these creators have in common, Mm -hmm. despite vast differences of style and approach, would be a trust and a an assumption that readers are intelligent people, (laughs) you know, or at least that there's a level of baseline comprehension that you actually don't have to handhold so much. Um, because I think, you know, one of the things in silver age and seventies, even like into the bronze age is there's a lot of handholding. Right. And, yes, you know, the, yeah. the target audience, I think still perceptually, you know, is very much like, oh, it's a medium for children. You know, like there are, we want eight year olds to be able to pick up Avengers and be Avengers fans for life. And obviously even in the Stan, Steve, Jack glory days of the sixties, they start doing college lecture circuits and really getting into like, actually, you know, maybe want a more mature audience and this and that. So you can talk about what the actual target audience is, I mean, but, that, like, the, the there's a kept, lot of hand-holding in the text.
1: The The word I kept using, I think, like, all through the Silver Age is, it, does, it feels just, like, unconfident, right? Like, it doesn't feel like you're confident in your storytelling ability if you need to continually be, like, telling me what's happening,
0: right? And, it's and, showing and telling at the same time, right? I, I'm
1: listening to Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, and, like, man, I wish I had, like, checked out this book forever ago, because
0: it is when i Actful. recommended it seven years ago I'm,
1: I'm glad i waited you know part of me is glad i'm waited because like now i know who these people are and the names mean that much more but sure yeah, stanley <laughs> stanley seemingly had pretty bad instincts for like what the audience could handle that's something that like we keep coming back to in that book um what are you is talking that, about? Like, is that he would continue? At, at what point?
0: Are you talking about later, like, as editor-in-chief? Y-
1: yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, once once he started looking at other people's stories, he just had, like, no confidence that, like, the audience was be able to put together and, like, he, he kind of just, like, some of the more interesting runs that we've read in the 70s, he had mm-hmm. such, like, derision for because he was just like, ah, people won't know what this is. What is this? It's a mess. No one will understand this. And that, like, turned out to be some of the more, like, fascinating and stuff that just trust your audience, like... That they will have taste and intelligence and, like, the ability to, you know, like, comprehend maybe a complicated idea that is not the most standard down the middle, you know, like, cookie cutters story that like that seems like such a pattern is that like stan lee had really bad instincts for other people's
0: stories and uh what they should be uh I, maybe as he as he aged i mean he's yeah. he like yeah. i don't know the stan that's the thing too though was like at this point we're in 1981 stan's not really in the picture again yeah like he's a figure yeah, yeah. definitely he, you yeah. know he's not uh, he's his voice matters and he's the voice of marvel um but you know jim shooter's the editor-in-chief and he's yeah he's going to rule with his own version of and the i mean Iron jim List, shooter but i, I, I do think for all of shooters for all of the criticisms that that we'll continue talking about through this decade i think especially as we get to the more contentious time periods his instincts in terms of if we're going to give him credit with yeah. you know for the line i, I mean i like in chief's role <laughs> like, his instincts for talent is is pretty incredible like bringing yeah. frank miller on yeah, recognizing yeah. him him writing and drawing this is actually the best approach for this book and letting him change it because it's property that isn't a huge deal you know is like yeah like let's embrace the change and let's embrace these shifts um that was a great call <laughs> that was yeah. a great call i mean one G- of the best G-
1: runs. jim shooter had like all these storytelling principles that he uh he wanted people to follow that were all really sound um definitely like we can talk about criticisms of him and there's definitely some like political stuff that i will critique of his strongly (laughs) that he that he brought in but i think like as a as you know like as an editor i guess editor-in-chief i think he did a lot of great for marvel because something else i learned from that book is that like all of our favorite stuff (laughs) from the 70s all the stuff that we think took these big swings and like ended up doing great stuff like uh yeah like jim starlin and um and panther's rage are stuff that like sure. basically was so small that it just snuck under the radar <laughs> that like they, they basically were able to do that because no one was paying attention and no one was Well uh, even X Men like even X Men, right? X-Men, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like right, this
0: book right. is this book was dead. And, you know, Claremont talked a lot in interviews about like, yeah, we were just just going to do weird things with leprechauns and castles (laughs) because nobody was nobody cared enough to stop it. It wasn't a big enough deal. Right. And and obviously that definitely is a theme. And it's very it's easy to glorify like, hey, when you let these creators just roll with their weird ideas, great things happen. Um, and certainly there's a lot of evidence to back it from from this time period in Marvel. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we talked a, a lot about right? like, like Fantastic Four mm-hmm. and, and Spider-Man being kind of dull throughout, you know, the 70s. And those yeah. are the ones that probably did have the tightest reins, you know, because of the the size and the importance that they've had yeah. historically. Yeah, yeah. So, true. yeah, all yeah that, was, that was true to they this definitely... run taking off. But you can see you can see those threads building to this point. Um. So. All right. So let's talk about kind of as the run progresses. Big picture. I don't yeah. want to do too much plot stuff because, again, you should be reading this and I want to encourage you to I, read it I this. do want to get into it's
1: 169 great. as its own individual issue because it's, like, nice. one of my okay, favorite sol- solo issues, period. Like,
0: what a cool yeah, issue. Yeah, it's so... Da- this this is the one that, reading it the first time, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of my favorite comics. This isn't just yeah. going to be, like, a cool, charitable <laughs> yeah. story. This is, like, at a level that, that I am really impressed by um forget for era forget for the 80s or drop, whatever so 169 issue follows
1: 2020 at like you know like if this had modern looking art yeah. or whatever you yeah. would totally be like wow what a innovative daredevil issue in 2020 like if it hadn't well, already and happened like, in 19 and where are we going
0: and you know and just wanting to follow along and be like where is this Where's this creator going to take me? Because 161 follows Bullseye, and it transforms... Bullseye's been a threat. He's been a menace. You know, we read an issue not too long ago where yep. he's menacing Black Widow, and that's got Frank Miller art. But here he becomes a psychotic madman. And I mean that in both the, like, um, both the like hyperbolic sense of, like, news media covering this, you know, about, like, oh, serial killer on the loose. But also, literally, he's got, like... Um, mental instability
1: got, they say he's got a brain tumor that's causing him to hallucinate
0: yeah and he's hallucinating daredevil everywhere he goes so like daredevil becomes this haunting figure for him because he's the man who has beat him up and had him arrested in previous uh in and previous we, we saw him like
1: daredevil stared him down last time and basically like made his mind snap right with fear and so that which i love like, i actually uh, yeah. love
0: the, the the relationship between daredevil and bullseye where bullseye is this mass murderer he is as menacing as assassins come. He is one. He becomes really in this issue. He becomes one of Marvel's most terrifying villains because of what he's willing to do and just his absolute lack of of um, moral compass. But when he goes face to face with Daredevil, they can hang in terms of fighting. But he's always scared of Daredevil. Like, yeah, deep down, yeah, a great Dexter Point is scared of of Matt Murdock. <laughs> we still and haven't gotten awesome. that
1: name yet. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, yeah. So th- this issue's. Pretty incredible. Um, what just, else? Did just you
1: visually, say about the it? way that so I mean, he's drawing it basically through
0: Daredevil or
1: um, through Bullseye's point of view, and he's walking through the street, and just like every civilian is Daredevil. It's like Daredevil with you know this blonde wig on, <laughs> Daredevil in a sundress. Daredevil is this like you know tall black yeah. man with a with a boombox. Like he's he's just sees Daredevil everywhere, and the only way for him to like calm down is basically to kill a few of them, and he just kind of like starts randomly killing people on the street. And then running off, and he that like settles his mind, and it's just this like horrifying. Like he's just this absolutely erratic, loose cannon that is totally deadly, and
0: just it it is. It's also it's violence on a on a grounded, too close to home level that we don't often see in Marvel comics. Building to this point, like obviously, like comics as a medium is built on violence. It's built on some wish fulfillment. Some fantasy, um, and and even you know, like look at Luke Cage in seventies books, like some grounded sort of street level stuff. You know, would be the term we'd use now. But this level of of a villain truly just striking at ran- the randomness of it. Yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. what is so scary so often. Um, and again, like all too close to home. Uh, it's it really it. I don't know. Like for me, it just recontextualizes Bullseye as. Like I said, one of the scariest villains. Like, he he just, he levels up here in, in the scariest ways. Like, all yeah. the wrong ways, where you're like, Daredevil, before it was like, Daredevil takes him down because you're the good guy. Now it's like, Daredevil, you have to stop him. This is, this is, like... Right, he's not you know, just, like,
1: assassinating, you know, mobsters, right? Like, he's just killing yeah. random civilians on the street, like, just <laughs> stabbing them on the street and then running away. And, yeah, it's, it's there's also, like, Frank Miller has this... um There's this visceral, like, um, there's this impact to his violence that I haven't really felt since maybe Panther's Rage with some of the descriptions there. There were literally a few moments reading these that I winced with, like, either the description or just the way that the violence was portrayed. There's a point yeah. here where Bullseye gets Daredevil, like, in a headlock, and he's basically trying to snap his neck, and they Daredevil's like, you hear him... The narration talks about how he feels like his skull started... Like, the bones in his skull scraping on his neck. He feels like his muscles tearing, and he's basically, like, yeah. feeling his neck about to break from the strain of it. That literally just yeah. made me, like, cringe and wince because of how how uh you know how real it felt and how like oh this feels like real physical violence um
0: there's also some some really excellent exploration of how daredevil sees and senses the city Mm, that miller does in some of the opening narration captions there's sort of a poetry and and again just like a realism to the city you know it's like daredevil connecting to new york city and it smells, and it sounds, and all of its movements, and you can see a bit of that sort of Miller-like, you know, that that it's almost stylistic darkness creeping in, where it's you know, it's it's a little bit like that Rorschach, you know, it's Alan Moore obviously, but like that sort of I've seen the city's dark underbelly, but yeah. it's not it's not parody yet, you know, it's not like it's not um, it, it just feels like a way of evoking the way Matt Murdock sees the world, yep. and obviously this is something creators have played with. Since he's created, because it's, you know, we have to understand how is he getting around. But this is very, it's different because it's it's poetic and it, it connects us to this world, the environments, and also just the way Matt functions. Um, it's really well done.
1: I mean, it grounds Matt, like you... you... In the past, he's basically been Spider Man with his Billy Club. He just like throws his Billy Club up and he swings through the city effortlessly. Now right, they make right. that like you feel like you understand what he's doing and how he's doing it, right? Like they, they, he lays it out in such a way that you're just like, you know, you understand how he's seeing the targets that he's hitting and, you know, like the process. The other thing that Frank Miller is doing here, God, like the, the amount is the amount of crazy good stuff he's doing is just um is that he is packing every scene with its every every little scene is its own drama playing out and i mean like that in kind of a lesser comic you know daredevil would have to get across the city and then you would spend a page or two showing him like swinging across the city just thinking like oh i hope i get there in time i can't believe i let bullseye get away with this you know what am i going to do when i get there you know like kind of just right it's not really a scene. It's more of just like, all right, we need to show him getting from point A to point B, right? Like, every time that he does something like that here, he turns it into... He needs to find Bullseye, and he finds out that the hostage he's taken has, like, a bad cough, <laughs> basically. And he's, like, heard this guy coughing before. And you get a scene of Daredevil perched up on a building trying to, like, tune out the city to find this one specific cough.
0: To find one cough, yeah.
1: Right. I mean, that that's just a, a nice scene, but, like... He does every scene has its own little story playing out because then we cut to Bullseye and Bullseye's having his own little drama with the two hostages. Right, they're not just two random hostages. There's a, a scene where like Bullseye kind of um, like he loses it for a moment, and one of the hostages is able to like hit him over the head with a statue, but isn't it, like isn't able to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Like kind of blinks at the last minute, and Bullseye, you know, is like, "You should have killed me when you can." And then you know, like it just just packing everything full of. A story right it just it it sounds i think we've said this before we're just like what i'm saying is good story like make your story good but it's it's so much uh it's so much harder than than it seems because when you see it here and just see how well it works here it just puts into contrast how much it doesn't elsewhere i guess
0: yeah maybe uh so th- i do want to Correct too. I think I called him Dexter Poindexter, which I would prefer. It's it's uh it's Benjamin Poindexter, is bullseye's alias that just popped into my head. Okay, so the next three issues, Daredevil 170 <laughs> like everything to I just 172.
1: Said, you were just like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Benj- it's Benjamin Poindexter, though. I gotta I gotta get to the yeah, no,
0: stuff. I I had to get to that important point. Yeah. Um the next three issues are all kind of about the return of the kingpin. And this is where Miller and Jansen and company, they again like another recontextualized the kingpin as a daredevil villain and it's it's so natural to us now that it's you know it's almost hard to it's almost hard to look at this as a time when like this wasn't the case mm-hmm. even reading these issues you know it's like just there's an inevitability to it of like yeah daredevil and kingpin are more closely connected than kingpin in any character they meet like- but when you're reading this in 1981 that's not true They meet, like, in the second
1: issue here or something.
0: And, like, when they meet, he's just
1: like, oh, who's this guy in red? And I was like, oh, that's right. Like, they haven't met yet. It already just feels like they are bound together, right? Like, it's a surprise that they haven't met yet.
0: Yeah, so this issue opens with the Kingpin. He's basically, he has left being kingpin more or less, uh, in New York City. He's in Japan, I believe, Mm -hmm. and he's doing his awesome kingpin training where he (laughs) hires like strong men to come wrestle him, then whoops them (laughs) and complains that the strong men aren't strong enough. It's hilarious, and he's never clothed when he does it, which is also amazing. Um, He's there with his wife, Vanessa Fisk, who I don't think we've talked about much on the show, but she is uh, much like maybe you would see her in the Netflix Daredevil series, or or in modern, you know, context, uh she is kind of that voice that on one hand sort of keeps Kingpin uh human, sort of keeps him from violence, but also she's kind of encouraging of his work. Like she's not she's not um the the stereotype of like, you know, this wife who doesn't know his secret and doesn't know he's this violent man on the side. Wife like of? she's very aware of it and she's like kind of like you know she'll say things that aren't directly like oh you should crush this man's skull but are more like oh well you can't let that stand you know kind of things Mm -hmm. Um, she's very in on it and I and like I think it's something that will get developed more and more yeah that that doesn't really come across they function very well together
1: yeah that that doesn't that part doesn't happen here much right now she's purely a you told me you turned from violence and like you told me you weren't going to be a criminal anymore that's like her only role here right now but i can i can see that yeah topic. a
0: lot of what a lot of what he's doing too a lot of his decision making is all tied to Vanessa you know so yeah. it is like yeah, yeah. well i'm in japan because i'm trying to get away for it for her and then as this story progresses as other rival east coast crime bosses are you know plotting against the kingpin it's like, oh well, they've threatened Vanessa, therefore I have to reassume this role, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Vanessa does get captured by a rival mob um, in these pages in order to get Big Willie Wilson Fisk back mm-hmm. to New York City. You're not a Big Willie style guy.
1: Yeah, no, I don't, I
0: don't, I don't love that those two words what together. What's <laughs> your take on Free Willie? You don't like Big Willie together? Yeah, I don't something th- did something. Stop happen? saying Big Dude, Willie. Ugh. He's Big Willie. I'm gonna uh, call him that.
1: All right, Free Willy's great. I mean, Free is that it, Willy, yeah. Get, how was that better? How was that Get that Willy out of here? <laughs> oh my goodness.
0: I love I love that movie. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I I do think when they tested that title, Get that Willy out of here, um, it, it, I'm surprised they didn't stick with that for that uh Or that or just movie.
1: Free that Willy. <laughs>
0: Please free that Willie. Uh, yeah, so Vanessa's captured by the mob. Kingpin comes back, and basically, that like this is where the plot becomes you know more and more complex because now you get Daredevil trying to sort of join. Uh, Matt goes kind of in disguise to join a Kingpin gang in order to infiltrate, in order to prevent some of the crimes he's tracking. You get Bullseye joining up with Kingpin as a hired assassin to help him get Vanessa back, right? And it's just like all these webs sort of start weaving together, building up to, you know, sort of this final confrontation of of the Kingpin and whether or not he will, you know, take back his role as the criminal mastermind of New York City.
1: Yeah, and he does he does such a good job with the the mobs here these different like gangs because he like he lets you there's a few low-level street gangs that we get to know their name daredevil interacts with them Mm -hmm. over and over again you get to see daredevil through their eyes which is great uh he keeps breaking the same window in the same bar which is a
0: very funny and Josie's uh, bar right the supporting characters we talk about this with uh with claremont's x-men his work writing there where it's like oh all these supporting characters get built out in a way that like If you're really into this, they're very fun names. Miller starts doing that here with Turk, right? Turk Turk becomes this ongoing lackey who can never catch a break. And you get Grotto even, who's another gang member who showed up later in Netflix. And then Josie's Bar, uh, perhaps most famously, as the one that Daredevil's always breaking windows in. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I just like her. Like, please, please. It's been three windows this week. (laughs)
0: Yeah, just like, not this time, please. Yeah, it's great.
1: Um, The, um... God, I mean, I, I have so much to talk about. I, I don't want to keep just harping on how good Miller is here, but like he also starts getting into how Daredevil walks this line between like he is he is resolutely against killing anyone, <laughs> right? Like he's hardcore about not killing anyone. And that's already starting to bite him in the ass. Right. So at the end of 169, yeah. he has the chance like a train is coming. Bullseye is unconscious on the tracks. He can just leave him there to die. And he chooses not to. And then Bullseye gets a big the big tumor. Moment. Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. And Bullseye gets the tumor from his head removed and basically gets off from all those crimes because he like pleads insanity. He had this tumor, whatever, and he's out and he kills a bunch of people again. And like that is haunting on Daredevil, right? Like he could have stopped this. These people would still be alive if Daredevil had just let Bullseye die, but he can't let himself cross that line, which I think is interesting. Again, like weird for Frank Miller to be taking the side of like you know the <laughs> the the justice system needs to be above all and not like might makes right <laughs> which again is something like modern day frank miller i would uh... well maybe
0: but i i think that's him saying what would this character do right and, Yeah. and matt yeah, yeah. murdock Obviously that is that is a core essence of his being is is law. He's a lawyer and of finding justice through that. Yeah. And I do think like this is something that I liked a lot in Daredevil season two on Netflix, um, is just the idea of how absurd the no-killing line can seem sometimes. Yeah. You know, with sure. these with these absolute villains and mass murderers. And I always, always appreciate the however naive optimism of of a hero like a Daredevil or like um a Tom Holland Spider-Man in in Homecoming pulling the villain from the rubble, right? And saving their life and saying, Not even you, right? Not even you deserve to die if I can do something about it. Um there's a there's an optimism and a a hopefulness to that that is is refreshing. Obviously this idea has been explored to death in in Batman comics. Yeah, you know? sure. Um yeah. some some by Miller, so it's something he'll return to. But you're I, right, I, like that I mean, it's, already, it's an important moment.
1: It's already starting to spread to, like, the, the street knows this about Daredevil, that he doesn't kill anyone. So there's this great moment where he's dangling somebody yeah. at the edge of a building. And he they're just like, yeah, sorry, Daredevil, you already got a reputation. We know you don't kill anyone. And Daredevil's like, oh, yeah, and just drops him. <laughs> uh, and it's this great moment. And then he, you know, wings down and cap catches him at the last second. And is like, maybe I won't kill you, but I can do this all day. I can just, like terrify you <laughs> and that's enough yeah um, right but that, that's that's a great moment yeah so, the, so what's
0: I, your favorite moment of the the gang war with kingpin so for my money it's the first time they fight it's the first time that oh, we get yeah, to see the action yeah. of the kingpin and daredevil and it's amazing how and we talked about this actually in our most recent ultimate special because we you know there's an Ultimate spider-man issue um or storyline that focuses on spidey versus kingpin and just the way the way you can visualize kingpin wilson fisk big willy as this massive figure compared to frank uh compared to daredevil and like how he can he can and land frank punch Miller. after punch right you daredevil can land punch after punch and just be like oh this isn't doing anything it's like punching a brick wall and then yeah uh, and it's just hurting kingpin him gets like, <laughs> in one punch finally and it's just thwap right in the face and daredevil is clearly taken out like there's yeah. a there's just like a presence to to Wilson Fisk's size and style of fighting that yeah. comes across so well visually. Um, a lot of times when Miller's doing this too, it's like, I, I don't remember if Daredevil turns off the lights or not. I don't think he does, but there's just like once straight in the black, sewers black sewers. backgrounds. Yeah, he does once in the sewers. Okay,
1: he, but he hits the lights on like a bunch of henchmen. But when he's
0: fighting, but when he's fighting Kingpin the first time he hasn't, it's just stylistically, it's just like black backgrounds. Yeah. Right. And it can almost seem lazy, but it's actually like, I don't know, there's an effectiveness to it because you just have Kingpin in white versus Daredevil in red, and I don't know, the backgrounds don't really matter. Uh, Like That's not what you'd be paying attention to when this kinetic action is going on, so I, I love those sequences. I think they're some of my favorites. Every time I read them, I'm like, ooh, I got a screenshot. Like, Every moment of this, because it's all so good.
1: Yeah, uh, I liked the uh, the sequence where Kingpin goes to finally get his wife back, who's been kidnapped, and mm-hmm. one of his own lackeys who wants to drag him back in, like mortars the building and it collapses on top of his wife, who crawls out later. We find out that she like has her memory knocked from her and she's actually okay. Yes, yeah, so, but like, so Kingpin's... that'll be a thread
0: here: is Kingpin thinks he loses her, he's going to resort and back to his to old curse. ways, yeah. and she is surviving in a very weird. <laughs> situation in the sewers yeah yeah we'll see that later but um i just love the
1: sequence of like zooming in on his face in the the single panel of like the close-up of his eyes as, as he like realizes what happened it's very good like mm-hmm. and he also like mm-hmm. kingpin's a big nasty villain here but he also very much gets humanized through vanessa um it really works well all right we got yeah. we got to move on we have we still have so much to cover with with x you're
0: telling me brother all right yeah. let's do a quick a cutaway to and sponsored ad. Oh, okay, okay, sure. cutting away in three, two, one. Hey, guys, Dave and Zach here. Wanted to tell you about a show <laughs> that we really love. It's called My Marvelous Year, and it is completely listener-supported. <laughs> That's right. If you've gone over to okay. patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear, you can potentially contribute to our excellent show. Other ways to contribute, of course, are just listening, sharing, or rating, and reviewing on iTunes. But we especially wanted to thank... And encourage you, uh, those of you who have supported us over on Patreon, because that is how we keep the show running and and keep uh, you know um, uh, our special bonuses going. Like the My Ultimate Year special. We have to call out yet again that if we're above our goal for the Ultimate Year special, we'll do one per month, and we will will be releasing them to the live feed right now. They are Patreon-exclusive for six months, or until six months after release. Yeah, and episode
1: three just dropped. I think it's, like, the best one yet. It's a lot of fun. Um, The Ultimate uh, Universe. So
0: we're reading through the entire thing, and they're really fun to do. I think they're some of our best work. Um, you know, uh, because yep. you know, let's just let's face it; these My Marvel This Year ones—they're for the olds, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or is that Ultimate Universe? Young kids, and that's really our—you know—kind of where we're at. Just a couple of kids, right? Young and hip. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah sure. Say I guess. say some cool slang, quick. I don't know any. Um, Ultimate okay. Universe so, is
1: 20 years old, Dave. Doesn't that make you feel really old? Makes me feel pretty old. Uh, I do remember no, what because
0: felt... I—it's not a thing I was looking at it at the time. Oh, I, uh, I, I was reading these at like. 17 or something, so. Old. Yeah, so I'm, I'm young and hip. Zach's pretty old, but uh, check us out. <laughs> Patreon.com slash year And uh, thank you for your support.
1: Oh, and uh, so we've got a sponsored ad. I I, br- I brought a sponsored ad here today. It's for... Uh, oh, you P- got one too? All right, just Pitsman's drop it in here. Mustard. Pissman's Mustard. <laughs> How do you spell that? It's Pissman's Mustard. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it's got uh, extra right, okay, salt okay, now. don't smell anything. N- new recipe, extra salt. They just, uh, they paid me $50. Extra salt. To point out in, that in a the mustard so we're
0: big that's right my mustard is here we are sponsored by a <laughs> mustard co thank you uh everyone who's putting thank mustard you on brats no ketchup no ketchup allowed just mustard yep. on your brats and use pistons uh when you do so brats it is hey it's super bowl sunday <laughs> i bet people didn't know that this is our first uh uh day before release recording and we're recording on super bowl sunday oh and i gotta tell you zach i'm gonna be lathering things in pissman's mustard today
1: are you watching the big game the big pigs big big pig spin ball game tonight Dave?
0: <laughs> so rather than answer that let's get back to our comics <laughs> and uh we're gonna get into some uncanny x-men this is the biggest chunk of things that we read and uh debatably should have done avengers annual first probably doesn't really matter uh yeah, no no cool. this is right so okay yeah, uncanny yeah. first two issues 141 142 Dave's of Future Zach's otherwise known as Days of Future Past this is Chris Claremont and John Byrne together for the final time that we'll be reading officially here in the My Marvel <sighs> year universe Zach barely I got to tell you yeah. we barely knew the incredible incredible work they've been doing for a number of years now Days of Future Past Zach it's so good it's it really so is. good I had forgotten how much how much work is done here how much new stuff is added to the X-Men mythos. I how just How kept... freaking fun these are to read in the context of the way the X-Men have changed over the last year. Yeah. I mean, it is mind-boggling how good these are. Uh, okay, so I'll start there. That's the... I mean, the, the <laughs> word that my, just kept coming my through my statement. head is audacious.
1: <laughs> like, I continually was <sighs> just being like, yeah. how, how dare you? How dare you finish the Phoenix Saga? And then I think there was, like, a couple issues between the Phoenix Saga and this. But then, like, but then follow it up There's... with this? Two, It's like two, three. yeah. Three.
0: There's three. Two, um, two. It's right. kind of, kind of about the team grieving. Really, Cyclops. So, yeah. so Cyclops grieves and le- takes a leave of absence. So when we, by the time we get to one forty one, one forty two, Storm is the current leader of the X Men, and that brings its own awesome dynamics because now we have Storm trying to lead the X-Men in present day for the first time. And there's just like there's an amazing moment where Wolverine, she tells Wolverine to sheathe his claws because he's out here doing his, I'm gonna kill these guys act. And she's like, Wolverine, sheathe your claws. And he's like, no, I don't take work I don't take that from anyone. And he's like, I would never take that from Cyclops. And she's like, you will with me. And it's this incredible moment of leadership where Mm -hmm. Wolverine is like yeah. Uh, okay. Actually, tail, tail uh, we'll talk about, about this later. Legs, yeah. 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 In a way that, like, he never would have backed down on Cyclops because there's all that, you know, like, stuff between them with Jane yeah. and just with being two alpha dogs in the same room. So that moment's awesome. But obviously, the big hook of these stories and the thing that I'd forgotten how, like, evenly split it is, but the big hook is uh, a future timeline where it, 30 years in the future, it's uh, 2013 in, in this story and the year. 2013 and yeah, Sentinels yeah, right. have taken over the world mutants are hunt apprehended and slain they are kept in internment camps and uh the state of mutant kind is absolutely dire and it's all because of this moment in present day when mystique new character introduced and her brotherhood of evil mutants assassinated a presidential candidate robert kelly a mm-hmm. politician that we're going to continue to be uh seeing as a an advocate for um you know defense measures against mutant kind. Um but what I had forgotten was the assassination also included Professor X and Moira McTaggart. Right right right. Uh okay. yeah, and so like
1: that leads in this other timeline. Those assassinations lead to like like you said this anti-mutant fervor that passed laws that let the sentinels basically like they brought back the sentinels and then the sentinels decide the best way to take care of mutants would be to seize all political power <laughs> um, but i like
0: that as a parallel well, and, and to and like, remove like the, the heroic, like heroic or villainous powered threats that aren't mutants which is a which is a big reason i think days of future past connects so strongly is when they show the graves of everyone who's passed it's not it's, just mutants it's, got it's the entire Green. fantastic four there's, there's Spider-Man. Yeah.
1: You can see Peter Parker's grave back there. Like, yeah, it, it's yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, but it also like it has this nice ring of truth of like anti-immigrant and any kind of anti-other fervor that happens in real life. Right. Like often leads mm-hmm. to more authoritarian outcomes for everyone, not just for, you know, it is a way of grabbing and amassing power at the the, um, you know, under the excuse of, well, I'm, we need to take care of this problematic group of people. So, like, everyone needs to give up a little mm-hmm. of their rights. Otherwise, how are we going to protect you? And it's just the, like, the extreme example of that. So, it like, you know, like, it, does, it doesn't feel like this insane sci-fi story. It's just like, oh, right, that's exactly how this happens.
0: Does it, does it feel to you, because I think it does to me, like, the most, so, like, simultaneously the scariest but also the most natural conclusion of Sentinels as X-Men villains? Where yeah. it's like, yeah, of course, they're not just going to turn around and respond to the anti-mutant politicians. Of course they're going to, you know, the machines are going to take over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um and they're going to be the ones running things and they're both anti-mutant, but then eventually they're like, well, humans are our ally and they kind of get in the way, so we're going to take them over too. You know, it is this very within the context of the Marvel universe, but also I don't know, like there's there are a lot of political and just social overlaps here, where it's like, this type of future is not, yes, it's set within the Marvel universe, but it's also playing on themes and ideas that are very applicable, like yeah. you were just saying, to, yeah, to yeah. anyone other. Um, and just, you know, the idea of like, oh, we'll, ne- we'll never have internment camps again, but then like that being an ongoing conversation and, and worry, you know, and and obviously using mutants as the metaphor for how gross that is to put groups yeah. of people, you know, lined up like that with, you know, power dampening collars on their necks. Um, so yeah, I, I think as a as a future dystopian timeline, it is very, very well executed. We get so the vision of the future. We get um, the only kind of surviving mutants that we get a, a taste for here are Kate Pride, obviously Kitty Pride now grown up, going by Kate. Um, she's married to Colossus, who's still alive. You got Storm. You got Wolverine, who kind of busts in and, and helps the team get out of their internment camp. And you have Magneto in a wheelchair. And uh, who are the other two? Franklin mm-hmm. Richards, right? And then the Fantastic um,
1: four, the psychic called. Rachel, I don't remember what her like X Men name
0: is, um, and and a uh, Rachel who's a, a has telekinetic powers here in the days of future past timeline, and their grand plan is, you know, we have to prevent this from ever happening, right? We have to go back to the island. No, no, we have to go back in time. Um, so they send Cape, they hijack a bunch of technology, et cetera, et cetera, and they send Kate back to Kitty's body as a thirteen year old training in the Danger Room with the Uncanny X Men in the year nineteen eighty in order to prevent the assassination of Robert Kelly, Professor X, and Moira.
1: And before we go any farther,
0: is this the
1: best time travel story Marvel has done? Because I think yes by a mile. We've seen a lot of time travel up to this point. None you know of it what, seems- honestly,
0: you could also just ask, is this the best X-Men story we've read? And I I think the answer is yes. Um, is it the best time travel story? So I think Days of Future Past is better than anything we have read or will ever read with King the Conqueror. With yep. Rama Tut, <laughs> I mean <laughs> with the, the, uh, so, Immortus, all the time travel and bigs. I
1: think the issue with almost all of those is that you get this really indistinct. I mean, I I've complained about this before, and it's like maybe maybe slightly unfairly that you know in the 60s they would talk about like the 34th 31st, 31st century is this you know like utopia, and the 41st uh-huh. century is this dystopia, and then sometimes they just switch it and they forget, and you know like in that fair enough, whatever in 1965 they weren't planning on like. But even that, even that's kind of relevant
0: in comparison to like those worlds just feeling fleshed out and lived in, and right? Compared to this, they they do not at all, right? Um,
1: and, and I think also like the stakes are generally pretty low, right? They don't feel that connected to anything. They're either lower, they're too broad, you know? Right, they're too
0: they're right. too over the top to the point that it's it's hard. The, to the feel. fact that this
1: is in 2013 and not in like. 2850 or something. Yeah. I yeah. think makes all the difference here, right? That this is not some like random group from the future. This is all them, but uh, you know, like a little gray around their temples, right? Like
0: uh-huh, this is uh-huh.
1: 30 years later, 25, 30. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and I think that makes so much difference because it's just like, oh yeah, like it's now basically, right? Like this is, this is not this far flung future. It, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the stakes just seem immediately clear and as high as they could get right like and that's I don't know that's yeah so, I think the question about so is it the best audacious. time
0: travel I mean it's hard to think of anything better I think the the bigger more debatable question becomes is it the best sort of alternate reality alternate future that Marvel's done And that one you actually have some competition you know, you could look Do at we? things like a Hulk future imperfect or age of apocalypse um, oh, we have uh, or I mean, any number of other realities even all stuff those. that comes later so actually that that kind of raised the question for me like it's not like we haven't seen future timelines in stories before. Um and it's not you know, I don't know I don't know that at this point we would have called this like an alternate reality because no, although I the idea I of don't, I don't the know conclusion this is back, like we go so. back in time to fix it from happening, it very much feels like this is just the way this timeline could play out. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um so it kind of becomes like the first alternate reality. Of a sort, uh, well, but we, we anyway, skip to the it, it's, end not, this, it's definitely not the that, first like, time we've seen time travel, but it stands. We're
1: cutting, up. we're cutting back and forth between 1981 and 2013, and uh-huh. it's like as things come to a cu- climax in 1980, and basically they like rush to rescue this senator. The X Men are getting killed off one by one in like very horrific, violent ways in 2013 in the timeline, and yeah. it, I mean it ends with like Storm and Colossus, and then finally like Kitty Pride gets killed in 2013. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. like the moment and then she just kind of like kitty pride in 1981 all of a sudden it's just like ah and then that version of her is gone right so like and that's the end of that timeline right it just kind of blinks out of existence with that like all of our point of view characters are gone and this future timeline is gone and it Mm -hmm. very much leaves it up to like okay well it Seems like they succeeded, but like they all died. But then like, is that timeline erased? Like it, it leaves it all really nice and ambiguous. It kind of like, it does a great job of just saying like, this was this mission. We don't know if it succeeded. Seems like it did. But also, like, these people still experience that, right? Like, it, it doesn't hand-wave it away and they all come back and everyone... We don't get this cheerful little scene of, like, oh, it fixed everything and they're all happy and alive together in the future. Like...
0: Right, right. It's, well, it's the cool just... thing, too, is because, because Kate traveled into Kitty's body, everyone know, everyone in the current day X-Men knows about this timeline. And they all, right, like, yeah. Kate tells them, right, it's not a secret. Um, She tells them, hey, I'm older now, <laughs> this is why. And Wolverine has kind of a weird moment where he's like, she, the way she cares herself, the way she the, smells. The smells line. Like, was the smell? A <laughs> what? Yeah, she's still me? in a 13-year-old's body. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, but, <please>. anyway, <laughs> but anyway, but uh, anyway, yeah, but they all know about this. So they all know that this is a future that they work to prevent, but that, you know, it's like, that would still be in the back of my mind forever, especially on Professor X, yeah. Moira, et cetera, right? Just you, this I idea think... of, like, this is a thing that happened in a timeline, and it could happen again if we're not careful.
1: And Professor X, like, reads kitty's mind and basically like pulls all that information out so he has the most clear idea of exactly like yeah, yeah. what happens which is of everything which is she went through
0: yeah right right totally. um totally
1: so there's the new evil brotherhood or brotherhood of evil mutants there's raven dark aka mystique who looks mm-hmm. super cool um she is that blue. skull
0: on her belt buckle yeah is i love it probably the most iconic belt is on buckle, her belt buckle?
1: i thought it's like holding her that's like a brooch am i wrong
0: I think you just broached a subject I know nothing about.
1: <laughs> uh, it's a broach. Um, is it a belt buckle? Is that buckle? just
0: a dude's belt buckle?
1: <laughs> there's a Yeah, no, there's a, a Tim broach. and Eric. It is, it is on her belt. You're correct. Um, there's a Tim and Eric bit where it's like brooches for men or broach
0: is. <laughs> sure, sure. I see <laughs> yeah. it. I, I see the connection. Yeah, so you got Mystique debuting for the very first time. You yep. got Destiny Who's got a dope gold mask and can see the future? Here, yep. here, more or less, just used to be like, "Hey, Nightcrawler's gonna pop up on your left." Avalanche, so swing left here in a second. It's very specific, like uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, like fight advice. Um, you got the Blob, the yep. the only OG yeah. Brotherhood member yeah, yeah. who is around for this new iteration. You got Pyro, who can manipulate fire, and you got Avalanche, who can make earthquakes. What? Zach, I love this version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. How do you feel about them?
1: Yeah, I like them too. I don't like destiny. I don't like destiny I don't as, like a, as a your plot. Your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't like her how she works uh, into the plot. I think it sucks the dramatic tension out of things.
0: Um I like her as a character. Well, I liked I like... her a lot I I like her a lot more now than I did, I think, uh, my first go through the Claremont era. Okay. I,
1: I like her like her relationship with Mystique is really interesting and I kind of mm-hmm. like her generally as a character. I hate her as like a fighter, right? I hate her being there cuz I like Yeah. Th- there's nothing You can feel
0: them not really knowing how to use her.
1: Right and it just feels like oh okay how it's one of these things where she's so overpowered that you're basically like oh how are they ever going to beat her well they're just going to it's going to have to be some deus ex machina and then it always is you know like right um so that that i think her is like a dramatic um item like doesn't work for me being there um i mean she has stuff i mean she's got a a moment in um is it powers of x that is just like incredible yeah, one of yeah. the coolest she's got, scenes she's got she's got modern relevance modern that stuff is that is absolutely amazing. incredible
0: yeah. Um, oh, can we talk but about... I, I do think, too, she's also got the functionality in the 80s where it's like, shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't you be better at this, Destiny? Like, <laughs> if you can see all this stuff yeah. coming, like, yeah, shouldn't yeah. the Brotherhood do a lot better than they wind up doing? Yeah, I, yeah. I think she's got... It, which is, you know, kind of one of those things where you back yourself into a corner as a creator where it's like, well, we made it so she's nearly unbeatable, but we have to beat her every time. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so now yeah, she yeah. just looks like she's underachieving. Um, yeah, I love this Brotherhood we'll team. Him. I yeah. Very cool designs all around. I think they look great when they're fighting the X-Men. And also, like, their plot here is if it was standalone and you took out the future timeline, it would be not very exciting, you know? It would be just kind of average, mundane, like, oh, they're going to kill a rival politician, and it'd be fine, probably. But then you throw in the, here's what it leads to, um, and them having no idea, which to me raises the question, like, shouldn't Destiny have had some signs of this, but we haven't gotten there yet? Um, You know, it's just like, their threat is immense it's immense in a way that it that it could not have been without you know knowing what the action leads to it's really cool
1: it is and um and pyro does this cool thing where like he basically has flame powers but he usually manipulates them to looking looking like some big creature which is fun like just that Mm -hmm. little touch makes him a little more interesting my only context for pyro is reading marauders like now right now the current series yeah Um, v different yeah, very very funny to like that that's the only time I've ever seen Pyro before. I forgot that I cuz I've read this before and I forgot that I had read him <laughs> in the past because he's he's not really much of anything except like a fire guy. Same with Avalanche. Avalanche yeah. is just kind of an earthbender. Um yeah, not I don't an know if there's though.
0: Let's be clear. I think he has huh? a pretty full head of hair. Mm. Um, yeah. That's so funny. let's uh very briefly touch on the way this ends, which is like you already kind of covered it, but the X-Men, you know, quote-unquote, win the fight against the Brotherhood. They prevent the assassination of Robert Kelly, and there's this meeting towards the end of things where Kelly and a, a group of shadowy conspirators, um, politicians, Sebastian Shaw of the Hellfire Club, very yep. notably, basically says, like, somebody says, like, oh, they saved your lives. You still want to work against them? And he's like, yeah, but mutants still tried to kill me." So there's still that sense of... Maybe this didn't save everything because he's still holding mutants accountable for the action. And then you have Sebastian Shaw in his role as secret mutant slash industrialist, being like, "Hey, let me benefit from hunting your hunting mutant stratagems by being the one to build new Sentinels." Mm-hmm. So it's a very effective way of being like, "Yeah, the X-Men, quote unquote, won by the end of this, but the fears and and the hate." that drove the problem in the first place, all still there, all yep. still in the yep. wings, right? And and still a come-in, including connections to our Avengers liaison, government liaison, Henry Peter Gyrick, who now enters the scene as a threat to the X-Men with Project Wide Awake.
1: Oh, I couldn't remember. I was like, I know that name. I couldn't remember what it was. I forgot he's the, like... He's
0: the one who makes them get down to seven Avengers, Avengers in that bureaucrat. lineup issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay you, so we read some you, other X-Men wait, wait, stories yeah, just, let's fly through them.
1: Do you like this movie? The movie version of this?
0: I I mean I like the comic a lot more but I enjoyed it uh I enjoyed it plenty when I, I saw think this it is, in theaters the once. I think it's my favorite it's X-Men. It's the movie. last X-Men movie I liked. I yeah, definitely Well yeah that. I think that's yeah.
1: It's my yeah it's my favorite out of uh all the X-Men. Oh
0: no I don't like it as much as X2 for sure but I haven't seen X2
1: since I was like 14 so I shouldn't I shouldn't say that but like as an adult the ones I've watched and actually remember, I remember, like, loving this movie. I thought this was so much I like
0: Days of Future Past more than First Class. Oh, yeah, I, I, I really I didn't some like... Some people have different opinions.
1: I, yeah, I had the opposite with a friend. Like, I watched First Class with a friend, and I was like, that was kind of boring. And they were like, really? I loved it. And then we watched Days of Future Past, and we had the exact opposite, where I was like, well, that was great. And they were like, nah.
0: I think I mean, First Class, I think first is just class like was just Kevin... the Magneto parts. It'd be my favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kevin Bacon as Shaw and... uh January oh, Jones, oh, Kevin Bacon is so and wasted. January
0: Jones, oh man, were God, they good representations of those characters? Just the absolute oh, worst, oh my Emma goodness! Frost, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. you think of iconic performances, I think of Bacon, <laughs> Shaw, and Jones's Frost. Uh, no, 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 they—that yeah. was that was depressing. Okay, uh, so but okay, we gotta we gotta fly, we gotta fly, we right got lots to two- do.
1: X Men One Fifty, we didn't read, definitely didn't read three issues between One Forty Two and One Fifty. How dare you!
0: So 145 to 147, Oh, wait, Zach's wait. least 140... favorite character and my favorite character in we a story. We should have...
1: I, I just want to call you up. It, everyone should read Every Uncanny X-Men, obviously. But if you're not, uh-huh. if you're kind of just reading the list, you should go back and read 143. And I think it is a literal crime that you should be jailed for that you didn't put 143 in here and that you included 145.
0: Is that Kitty Alone in the Mansion? Yeah, that is at
1: all time, like, great single That's issue.
0: actually the last Claremont and Byrne issue, too, I think, right? And it's
1: it's such a fun Kitty Pride issue, and it's like... It's really it's a, good. It's, it's a really, really singular issue of comic where it's just, like, a, a locked house. It's Kitty Pride basically, evading a demon in the X-Mansion by herself, and it's the first full, like, Kitty Pride And destroying the X-Mansion, which I like. We see the, uh, it's, yeah, the consequences yeah. of. There, there, I think you could a,
0: make a case... You could make a case for reading that instead of 145 to 147, but that case would be overruled by the inclusion of Dr. Doom versus There's, the X-Men yeah, and particularly versus yeah, Storm. Yeah. yeah the the Dr. So, Doom storm. 145 stuff to 147 is, yeah, that's all the good stuff. That's why it's here. I don't even want to explain the plot mechanics of this so much as to really say, not get into it either. Uh, it is... Yeah. Yeah. Doom. Uh, he, so Storm, approaches Dr. Doom in order to apprehend the villain Arcade, who the X-Men believe Dr. Doom is imprisoning. Actually, turns out Arcade and Dr. Doom are, like, kind of working together in some capacity. Kind um, so of, Doom... but not
1: really. Like, the stakes are kind so of, unclear. Kind of, but not really. That, that's, like, kind yeah, of a problem with this. I don't want to get that, into like, it. It's, it's really a tangled web, and you're never... At no point was I like, wait, why is Dr. Doom imprisoning the X-Men, but as if he's Arcade? I don't really know why. Yeah, yeah. That's well, happening. that's kind of
0: doomish. Like, like, uh, traps within his castle is kind of. I mean, if Doom was like wanted to wanted to slap Arcade with a copyright lawsuit, you know, would not yeah. be would not be. Out I mean, he's better at it than Arcade is. Approach. These
1: traps were more interesting. Like, some of them were pretty fun. I really liked um, Nightcrawler. Like, he basically trapped him in a featureless white awesome. cube, and it's just like Nightcrawler. Yeah. He can teleport out of here but he doesn't know where he is or, like, what will happen. You know, like, he doesn't know. And then know when he
0: does, people. he's, like, 80 feet above, you know, like, No, he's two miles above the Earth. <laughs> or the, the, two miles? Uh, well, that's 80 miles. feet, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right? Approximately. Yeah, no, he, he teleports way up into the air because he just, like, has to be positive that he's safe. Um, yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Besides that, so like, I, I don't know. So, Doom captures are... Storm. First thing he does. Messy? And
0: he imprisons her in a crystal-lean statue. Storm's greatest fear is claustrophobia. That is a harrowing, cruel move yeah. by Victor Von Doom to imprison Storm in such a way. I think that's a very memorable moment. And uh, it, the it comic does end with the Storm and Doom basically being like, hey, truce, which is very weird to me because I feel like Storm should be beyond mm-hmm. uh, bitter at Victor for Yeah, it leaves with or, like, we are
1: neither friends nor enemies, purely neutral, but also maybe... Yeah. F- maybe flirting maybe he flirting also maybe makes
0: that? a storm robot to serve him during this time that yeah. storms imprisoned like doom's behavior here is you know appropriately villainous and creepy um but storm at the end i guess maybe you could make the argument that she's like i know i can't actually just straight up take him here so fine if he'll let me leave alive i will take that and obviously i will harbor him uh no positive sentiments so let's jump to issue number 150 which is a bigger one this is yep. the X-Men versus Magneto in a big anniversary issue. And a lot of big stuff happens here with our boy Mags. Uh, over the course of the last several issues, we've seen a thing where Cyclops has crashed ashore with Alistair, what is it, Alistair Forster, um, a a Not woman sure. captain of a ship he was on. Cyclops lost his visor. He's got to wear a mandana. He can't see very well. By the time we get to him in 150, he is the quote-unquote guest of Magneto in his Bermuda Triangle Island base magneto this base is really wild
1: like he's got a giant
0: mutant base yeah.
1: Well, he's got all these statues, some of which are literally Cthulhu. <laughs> he has a Cthulhu statue, like this life-size <laughs> Cthulhu statue, just <laughs> hanging well, out. Well, we haven't there. seen
0: him for a minute. He's been catching up on the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Like yeah. he's been doing some deep reads. And obviously, you're the master of magnetism. You can make statues of whatever series you're getting into. You should have seen him, circa 97 to 2004. Statues of Haggard were everywhere. <laughs> it was the only <laughs> thing you could find in his base. <laughs> yes. um, oh, I just so want to call Magneto's out plan that. Here. Slack is to member. do a big uh yeah yeah
1: the slack member sent me a physical copy of this issue um
0: of 150
1: yeah 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 so i read this uh, justin thank you very much um yeah i sent me a physical copy of this so i read it in actual like the original floppy paperback and it was a lot of fun were there any fun ads were there any what fun ads oh yeah there was one that was like one page of a comic <laughs> Which just really shows how much it hasn't changed. Like DC still does all these comics that are just like one page of a Batman comic where he's fighting someone for Snickers or something. This was like a bunch of terrorists fighting the Hulk and eventually they all, um, they all surrender, So they can get hostess fruit pies <laughs> yeah <laughs> something like that yeah. yeah that was good um That's yeah it amazing. was fun so thank you thank you justin i enjoyed it I, I don't know like i i still think i would generally prefer switching back to marvel unlimited to, to read these like just because the colors right like it's hard to even just the printing style and even if it's in mint condition um they're a little you know it's less vibrant
0: i mean if i just had the issues sitting there yeah and they were accessible yeah and and storage was no problem Always would go the issue. But we've we've talked about that before. Yeah, you would yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would go the like absolute say lunatic. Oh uh, yeah. Sure. So, all right. So, in the rest of *I Magneto, the issue opens with Magneto gives the world a literal ultimatum. The word is bolded, and that's gonna come back in our *My Ultimate Year* special oh, as yeah? a reference point. But he tells uh, the governments of the world via hologram that they need to give him political control of everything, or he will end life on Earth as we know it. Uh, so he gives this ultimatum in true Silver Age villain style, and uh, the Soviet Union in particular says hey we better go get this guy they send out a submarine and the submarine known as the Leningrad it shoots missiles at Magneto's base and Magneto sinks the boat uh killing everyone aboard and he also then I mean which generates is pretty like an earthquake in Russia to to be honest it uh, is not, but it's also a in. thing that he will be <laughs> that will be held against him for the uh the murder essentially of human life now I suppose when you look at it and it's like well they fired missiles to kill him they did try to nuke him following yeah. following his threat um but then I, I don't know it is it is a Tricky one because it's like, well, he killed a lot of civilians. I guess they aren't just like unarmed. The uh, the earthquake thing that he talks about, he somehow he evacuate. evacuates everyone. Now, or he, something. he says yeah. like basically he shook the ground long enough before he like pulled up this volcano to allow
1: the civilian population to evacuate. Like yes, yeah, so he's careful. I guess he's careful damage. to not
0: kill civilians. <laughs> Whatever, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, um, but still, he's you know, this is Magneto committing what are quite clearly going to be labeled terrorist acts, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this
1: is the first time we're starting to get sympathetic Magneto I think.
0: So that's um, that's what this issue blo- develops into. Yeah. is is the transformation from and, and again it's like from the start of the issue to the end of the issue at the start of this classic silver age threat, right? Literally mm-hmm. holding up the world saying I'm going to need 1 million dollars. You know, he's doing the big silver yeah. age threat. Hang on, was that a, like a spot on Mike Myers or was it too good? Do you think people think he's going to be on the pod?
1: Yeah, let's let, let's do uh, two or three more takes of that real quick. Just get some more clean takes. One think, no, the pinky. You're, you're
0: missing the pinky in the mouth. Oh, I I know. Like my impression's all in the voice. This isn't a visual medium, Zach. I think you're confused. I'm just saying that you're never going to nail the the the
1: the impression without the uh the. the do hand you thruster. think
0: Meyer's voice fluctuates with the location of his pinky?
1: Yeah, of course, it's like a theremin. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Gosh, all right, we might have to list in parentheses guest Mike Myers on this episode. Um, but if you're listening, obviously, you'll know, <laughs> no, it's just Dave, right? Just a trick. Uh, so, <laughs> so he's doing the Silver Age thing. And then by the end of the issue, and because I want to move a little quick here, he sees what appears to be the dead body of Kitty Pride, 13-year-old well, he, well, no, X-Man he, in her he, completely he insane her. costume. Yeah, her costumes. Yeah, that's what I just said.
1: I'll, well, her least, costume
0: here is every color in different locations. It's also amazing.
1: Her, her name is Sprite right now, which is not going to stick.
0: Is that was that a soft drink at the time? I'm going to look that up while you say. Something. <laughs> OK.
1: Um, yeah. Well, before before that, there's a few things I want to hit. Like uh, when he talks to Cyclops and they mention that Jean Grey Cyclops mentions Jean Grey is dead. Magneto is like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. And Cyclops is like, you know, you're such a hypocrite. Of course you're not sorry. And he's like, no, I genuinely grieve for her like she was a worthy opponent and she was a mutant and you know like basically like mutants matter to him right like he cares about mutants and this is the beginning of that where it's not just like you know he's an evil mutant and he's there for to do evil stuff but he's also a mutant now it's starting to do that thing where like you know the X-Men are in his way but like he would rather have them on his side, right? Like he he wants to win them They're over. They're a part he, of the community. They're a part of the family, right? By the way like right. he he, he yeah. you know is viewing them as like misguided, but uh you know maybe, well. And there's like, also the crucial element here.
0: Yes, and there's also the crucial element here of of literal lost children, in the sense that you know he flashes back to his wife and his kids and some past trauma yeah. that we haven't talked about a whole heck of a lot, but th- just how this influenced him, like this idea of oh my gosh, I've become the villain that scared my wife away, essentially. Yeah. Um, and thinks back to some family stuff. So like you were saying, he just like within the span of this issue just becomes the, the mag, not the Magneto that we're going to know, but like he's, he's trending that way. Now we are yeah, on that sure. track of being yes, a villain, but also being a sympathetic sort of ally. And like, to he, he thinks like, cause he
1: thinks he kills Kitty pride and he basically stops, right? Like the X-Men. Oh, he surrenders. X- yeah. The X-Men don't defeat him. He's just like, you know, what have I done? I you know, I can't do this. He like gives Kitty Pride's what he thinks body, but she's she actually like phased enough to, you know, like not be killed. Um to Storm yeah. and he just leaves, basically. He uh he escapes, I guess, but like um and then also Slowly. The <laughs> Slowly other- and
0: sadly. He just <laughs> walks away
1: with his head down, yeah. Oh, um just a little detail. Storm like considers killing him while he sleeps like she sneaks up on him with a knife (laughs) while he's asleep in bed and he wakes up and like stops her throws her out the window Mm -hmm. cool feature of his costume is that it's made of a lot of little magnetic particles so he goes from like just in his boxer shorts to like pulling his costume on particle by particle like um, yeah very very much like Tony Stark's you know like uh, Infinity War Iron Man like nanoparticle suit thing yeah that's a
0: nice call out but way ahead of that obviously yeah yeah um sprite was founded in 1961 it was a german company and (laughs) it says here on the wiki by the 1980s sprite had developed a large following among teenagers so was kitty straight up like (laughs) i want to be named for this software i know sprite has other meanings but absurd absurd that said that said if i could have a doctor or a um Uh, a hero name and dr pepper was available mr pib
1: they call me mr i think
0: that's funnier um all right let's transition to another chris claremont written issue that has major ramifications sorry we we forgot the biggest
1: detail of magneto is that he does mention his holocaust uh his experience in the holocaust here and that his entire family was killed here that is probably the (laughs) the biggest detail that is going to like have repercussions forever i struggle with this to a degree i i don't want i don't know if we need to get into it too much now but my rule of thumb generally with the x-men is that Mm -hmm. it is okay to use the x-men as a metaphor for the discrimination of different like marginalized groups right like as a metaphor for the civil rights movement as a metaphor for lgbt rights etc right like Uh they can they can be reflective of real life things but you shouldn't i guess for for example Later on, Kitty Pride is going to be talking to a black man who calls her Mutie, and she's just like, uh-huh. hey, you shouldn't call me that, N-word, <laughs> and he's like, hey, like... You're not allowed to say that. And he's and she says something like, you know, oh, it's the so same that's saying- that's
0: X-Men. God loves man kills, which we are going to read. And okay. It is as yeah. shocking a <laughs> moment. As I think you that are is such
1: a problem. You can't you can make the mutants be a metaphor for those things. You can't literally draw the parallel and saying that, like, these cartoons that we came up with. These, like, fictional characters in this, like, fantasy world, it's the same as lynching, the real life thing that just happened. You know, like, trying to say so that, I like, think
0: there's a. I think there's a component of what you're saying that is true, but I do... I think I pretty clearly disagree in the sense that you can definitely have gay, queer X-Men. You can definitely have oh, well, yeah, of course. X-Men of different races, oh, yeah. and you can have a Jewish X x-men or oh no 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 sure no i'm just saying uh, who has a history with the holocaust i don't see the equivalence
1: mutants in marvel comics saying you know like our discrimination is as bad as the black man's right like trying to to say that and trying to like make that equivalent like that is trying to, to like take the take the real life power of those things and use that to give weight to the like discrimination your fictional characters feel i feel like is generally pretty passe like i think that is
0: so I think Kinda the, the piece I'll agree with is is comparing discriminations is always a bad look and always right. a bad idea. We saw this yeah. in the Democratic primaries no. in 2020 with Kamal Harris and Pete Buttigieg where it was, you know, oh, I'm gay. So I know what it's like to be black was the it was the vibe of one of the things Ooh, that he boy. said. I know it's not actually what he said, but I'm saying that sort of thing post debate is is rightly criticized. Um, I'm a mutant. If, I think so comparing, I know what it's like I to think, be black is. I think, like I think bad, that's what you want to stay away from, is tact. what you're saying. Yes, that's exactly yeah, yeah. what I'm so saying. So where, where are you seeing any of that with Magneto?
1: I, I, I guess I'm just saying pulling in the actual real life, like explicitly pulling in the real life discrimination of people.
0: It's not just discrimination, it's a genocide.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, discrimination, violence, like slavery, etc. <laughs> like it just has to be handled so well. I think Magneto, it lends a real power to his character. Um, I just like I, I, I guess I've been trying to think about like why that, you know, like you you can split that difference for me. Um because I think that like lends him I think you're right, like a dual a mutant who is also black right you can talk about how that is kind of like discrimination from two sides or a gay mutant right like they are experiencing two different sorts of discrimination and talk about that i'm just saying that kitty pride shouldn't say that like being called mutie is being the same as being called the n-word right like no totally but explicitly saying that is i think that is like yeah that is that is pretty bad and is a pretty lazy way of trying to like lend power to your story um okay but yes No, I kind of think Magneto's thing works. I think it like is this like masterful stroke of him knowing more clearly and more explicitly than anybody because he lived through discrimination of another sort as Mm -hmm. a European Jew that what the kind of like what this um, like anti-mutant fervor leads to, right? Like he understands so clearly how this can snowball and he has that like. Yeah, I think it's a, a
0: powerful addition totally because when magneto says no humans always do this humans here's what they're driving to he's speaking from this place of experience surviving the holocaust and in a way that is like yeah there's a human history element here that makes it look like hey guess what magneto's right um and the idea obviously that a villain can be right is what gives him so much i think power as a character that that we're going to see developed so it's it's tossed out here it's not something that is just tossed out and forgotten obviously that's going to continue to be explored as X-Men develops yeah it
1: is it is it is a fascinating and just like such a uh, I don't know It is the most interesting character like beat (laughs) in connection to a real world thing I think we've seen, period. Um, Yeah, and I'm really interested to see how it develops.
0: Yeah, speaking of controversial potentially very weighty uh, political topics, let's follow up Avengers number 200. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) With Avengers annual number 10. So, we've got this kind of amazing sequence of events in Marvel Comics history where last time in 1980 we read Avengers number 200, which was the story where Carol Danvers aka Miss Marvel very rapidly gave birth to what turned out to be a time traveling um, (laughs) man named Marcus who uh, yeah who for lack of any better like summarization sexually assaulted her and uh, and then brought her to be his wife his love interest in some in the realm of limbo right and the Avengers all kind of cheered this on like oh happy day this nice thing happened for Carol Avengers Annual number ten is the retort, is the response, and I say it's kind of amazing because it's Marvel less than a year later with Chris Claremont writing and, and Michael Golden on pencils here, um, doing a story that attempts to fix another story they had just done. I just think like the the sort of inherent admission of of wrongness or yeah, of, of even yeah. needing correction or correction is not. Inherent to comic book publishers, you know, right? That is not something that Marvel and DC often do, and especially to do it with a story that's really good and builds out characters and introduces one of the biggest characters in the X Men.
1: That's like a whole different aspect of this, which is that like it also is an in like in continuity, in canon way. Like it's clearly Carol Danvers in this is speaking. To the Avengers, but she's also speaking to the audience, right? Like, it is that, yes, you yeah, know, it's like, very meta. Do, yeah, and it, like, it works really well. I, I, I think it almost works flawlessly. There's probably, like, a li- little things here and there to criticize about, like, the tone of it. But, like, overall, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it reads as, if, especially if you were, like, if you were really hurt or disappointed by Avengers 200, like, if you read that, especially at the time. Or just grossed like, out. Or just, like, yeah. what the but heck it, is I mean, this, you if, know? At the time, you were a big Captain Marvel fan. And you were just like, how could you do this to my, you know, favorite character? Like that, you know, like it felt so thoughtless and so you know, like, tone-deaf, This, I'm sure this, like,
0: is so cathartic. I mean, it felt the cathartic to me, right? Well, it there also th- brings Carol back, who's a character that obviously matters to Chris Claremont. Like, he wrote that Miss Marvel series for, what, 24 issues? Yeah. Um, or, you know, 20-plus. Um, so it's, like, it's obviously a character he has an attachment to. I do think, again, it's this thing I mentioned time and time again, but, like, this issue opens with Spider-Woman uh, Jessica Drew out in the San Francisco Bay finding and saving uh, what turns out to be Carol Danvers, like, falling from, off a bridge. From committing suicide. Right? Right? Yeah, and Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, is another character that Chris Claremont had written her solo series. Like, there's this whole she's pretty cool here. Marvel universe. Like, yeah, Spider-Woman gets pretty cool here. She is very cool, cool this here. Issue, She this issue, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I haven't read any other Spider-Man, or Spider-Woman, since we read the uh, the origin. So I don't
0: I don't really know much mm-hmm, about her mm-hmm. yet, but she's cool here. It's They're not, they aren't serious, and that's the thing, like, too, when, you know, when we read Miss Marvel, I think, I don't know, maybe you liked it more than I did, but definitely my takeaway was like, yeah, this doesn't, like, Blow me away. It's not this secret, Same. hidden, yeah. incredible gem. I, I don't no, feel that Spider-Woman you. is either. Um, but they are these like very concerted efforts to build out uh, female heroes in the Marvel Universe and new characters, I think most importantly. Um, and Claremont's extremely committed to that, uh, <laughs> even outside of the X-Men. And we see that here because so, he's like, someone has to save Carol Danvers. And, I was and just, like... he uses his own characters to do it.
1: I was just reading, like, the Marvel Comics Untold Story was talking about their first attempt to bring female characters in, and, like, them being all mystified why, like, Night Nurse didn't work, which is, like, Night Nurse was, uh, like, based on someone's nurse fetish. I don't even remember who it was. Maybe Roy Thomas? I can't, I can't remember. Like, one of the creators just had a weird nurse fetish, and then one of the other characters, Shauna the She-Devil's arc ended up with her being, like, (sighs) I'm so tired of being an independent woman. Why can't I just be dominated by a man? Like that's what I'm craving. And then those series never went anywhere. And Marvel's just like, why don't people like our female superheroes? Like, I guess female superheroes <laughs> sure. just don't work, huh? <laughs> so yeah. like, it is nice. That's to, that's to always see, my you know, favorite. Like, that's one of my favorite. That might not be perfect, but at least like... it's not this like horribly toxic attempt of <laughs> at making these characters yeah, yeah. work. Generally, like it. Seems that was like... one of my
0: favorite developments from the Sony hack was uh-huh. um was the idea that like there was a Sony exec who was like, Well, we tried Catwoman and you know, female superhero movies just don't work. It's like, <laughs> yeah, if you make one of the worst superhero movies, lo and yes, behold, it's absurd. not a hit. You know what yeah, I mean? It's like, the, d- it's the anyway. dumbest argument. Yeah. Um There's oh, a cabal scene in Catwoman that is one I, of my favorite that's, moments. That's like all a top I've five watched. moment from I've never watched any, any of Catwoman
1: before, except for that scene yeah. which I've watched a dozen times on YouTube. That scene is yeah.
0: incredible. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I would stack that up against almost anything. The, the, um, the okay, artist so, here is Michael so Golden, issue.
1: I want to call out. The art, sure is. I really sure like is. the art here, despite the fact that, like... It's kind of all over the map. It is, but, like, it just feels really big and wild and creative... It, part of it is uh, Armando Gill is doing inking, and I love the uh-huh. color work here. It is so bright and rainbow colored. Like, the, the yeah. palette he's using is just enormous, and he's using these big bright colors now, everywhere.
0: You love talking about characters' eyes. Oh, you my God. <laughs> how big Kitty Pride's eyes got in like this story. many times. Because it's like they, go, yeah. they get anime in this, and it's like very—I oh, mean, I don't they're...
1: think every character does. No, they get they get insane. Yeah, no, no, it, it definitely veers into just like absolutely wild craziness. Um, yeah, I don't it's know, almost I,
0: abstract because it just doesn't flow with the rest of the book. It's kind of strange.
1: Yeah, I I kind of dug it though. I don't know for whatever reason it was like weird enough that it worked for me. Like it felt like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, I mean, that's, I, that's I think
0: as a whole, this issue is kind of astonishing. Honestly, yeah, I do too. Um, so I think this we, is we mentioned best the kickoff, right? Good, yeah. They, oh yeah, for sure. Um, Jessica drew. She once she kind of gets Carol and realizes that's who it is and that I think she's initially um, unconscious. You know, she's been attacked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jessica Drew, she contacts the X-Men because she knows they have some connection or potential connection to uh, to Carol. And that's where Carol goes, is to the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Um, and that's kind of where she begins her recovery of sorts. But obviously this is not an X-Men annual. It's an Avengers annual. Um, so the connective tissue here is the Avengers get attacked by the new brotherhood of evil mutants, right? Um, I don't exactly know why, but the big change here with the brotherhood is they brought on a newcomer called Rogue, yep. who as the also issue has progresses, kind of crazy we will guys, learn. Yeah. yeah, Rogue, look, she's got much shorter hair probably than we're used to. And I mean, I do think it's important to to note, for those of you who know Rogue in a very broad or not at all sense, um, she starts out. With the Brotherhood, with the evil mutants, Mystique kind of operates in a motherly, um, maternal mentor role. And Rogue has, um, she's the one who, you know, when she touches someone, she can kind of absorb all their powers. And she does this to Carol And and as the issue develops, we learn, to the point that Carol nearly dies, right? She Mm -hmm. almost, um, you know, she's, they think they left her for dead, effectively. And also, when Rogue fights the Avengers, she's unbeatable. Like I know she, she takes absorbs down the Captain power America, of Thor, and Thor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's she, pretty crazy. She kicks right. the Avengers' butts. Uh, it's kind of wild. Like, it's a great, great. I don't intro think of her being a. Oh, yeah, Rogue could take all of the Avengers. You know, right? Yeah, set. but yeah, that's yeah. what that's how she debuts here.
1: Uh, so I didn't know this. I, I think my idea of Rogue is that she's someone who can take mutant powers, but I didn't really know that she can take just like anyone's powers. Is that well? That certainly, stick? that
0: like, has to stay because she's. You know, I she. Mean, will keep Carol Danvers powers her miss marvel powers uh really for the rest of her life um and oh, miss really? marvel is, is not yeah. a mutant yeah, yeah yeah so i mean like that's i think, Rogue I think my main ...has to Rogue an inherent is the, uh, ability the to fly movies. in super strength
1: that's like uh, you know the yeah like, she's rubber. not
0: well she never miss marvel's there obviously because yeah. of um you know because of these changes oh, but here when she debuts yeah. like she's basically she just kind of is a baseline miss marvel because of this incident
1: huh interesting i didn't know that yeah okay so yeah there's this big big fight scene at the prison um, that I liked, I think this like fight generally works despite it doing the destiny thing again of destiny, just being like, you know, turn to your right. There's a 98% chance that like beast will leap here at this moment. Like, etc. Yeah. Um, sure. Same problem I had before with it, but it's pretty fun. It's visually exciting. Pyro does a really cool one page, like big splash page of creating this big yeah. creature out of flames and rock. Um, that I really liked in the Scarlet, Scarlet, Witch. I really awesome like here,
0: like, Scarlet Witch always looks
1: awesome. Yeah. I really
0: like how Mystique um just totally owns Iron Man. She uh pretends <laughs> yeah. to be, I think, his secretary, um, and, and sneaks into Janet his, Van Dine, or like a I client think. or something. Oh, she pretends to be the wasp, yeah, thank yeah. you. And uh she pretends to be Janet and she walks in and then like you know, sticks a, a thing that'll shut down Iron Man's armor onto his back. They then launch him out of like a satellite <laughs> layer, <laughs> drop him to earth. Um then later, when Jessica's, like, helping him get it off, Mystique busts in, pretending to be Nick Fury, fakes him out again. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, yeah. There's all these really cool uses <laughs> yeah, of Mystique. Yeah, Mystique, Mystique's just like, power is just, just great. Oh, there's... Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: So there's all these things about, like, Mystique is blue. They keep drawing the parallel between her and Nightcrawler, right? Like
0: Which we saw in Days of Future Past the first time. Right,
1: yeah. right, right. Um, does this come up more later? Sure. Okay. Because... So I know what Chris Claremont originally... don't just originally... think you
0: find your mom and forget about it
1: okay so that's you ain't never
0: a... been walking down the street seeing someone the same complexion as you and thought mom
1: right so i know that I, I just wanted to know if this is a good time to bring this up i know that chris claremont originally wanted destiny and mystique to be a couple yeah and for them to be kurt's parents and basically uh-huh. mystique would have like transformed into a man <laughs> to be able to get destiny pregnant and then that is how like they conceived a baby together um Sure, that is so okay. interesting, and it is like one of the first cases of you can't have a gay character in Marvel being like shut now, down by the editor. There
0: is there is a little bit, I don't know, I, I haven't looked into it enough to say this with any certainty. I get a little uh, J.K. Rowling vibe with some of this stuff with Claremont where it's definitely well after the fact. Oh, um, sure, so really? So I do okay. wonder how much of this is... Because one thing that you can't say about Claremont is that he didn't have plans, (laughs) you know? Uh, Like, that could have been a thing he was absolutely intending to get to. Yeah. But the reality is he never did. So the question is, is that kind of just a thing you thought of later or maybe wanted to get to eventually and never did? Or was it actually a thing you pitched and editorial was like, absolutely not? Because, you know, it's a different time. It's very conservative. Like, if you
1: go on the LGBT in superhero comic wiki... Uh, there's a line there that Jim Shooter had a quote, no gaze in the Marvel comic universe uh, policy.
0: Want to hear a bad quote? <laughs> Run that back, Zach. <laughs> what do you Jeez mean? Louise, that's awful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, I'm w- saying exa- that's an
0: awful thing for someone to have said. Right, exactly. As, as editor in chief of Marvel.
1: So, uh, yeah, and we, one of the Captain America issues I want to bring in uh, is basically so we can talk about that, because there are a few writers who tried to, like, sneak around that and basically, mm-hmm. like, sneak through things um, who are interested in, like, introducing gay characters into here. Yeah. So, I don't know. You're, yeah, totally. That's uh, that's a good point. I don't know how much of that is Claremont saying later. Like, yeah, yeah, I meant to be progressive and I, I just couldn't, or whatever. Um, but. Well, and I don't,
0: I don't doubt his progressive, as you put it, intentions, really, at any point. Um, there's a lot of X-Men fans who find a ton of, like, queer uh, subtext in the pages of X-Men. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of I don't know. It's, it's this thing where if you read it as as a straight male, like I do, you don't necessarily see these things until it's pointed out to you. So that's that's one thing where I often enjoy and, and learn a lot from different perspectives. I think you know one of the better ones is J.M. Um, Miles. Explain the X-Men. Definitely there are things there where I'm like, oh, like Kitty and Rachel... Had a thing I had no idea, but that's a big thing to a lot of people. Um, Mystique and destiny, same exact thing, right? So it, those those types of relationships, because they aren't explicitly worked on, apparently because of this very very outdated prejudiced, uh, you know, no no queer relationships in the Marvel universe editorial mandate, mm-hmm. right? Those things are like they're all beneath the surface in a way that I now see but didn't see there's um, there's and stuff I I, think that is an interesting in captain
1: america story. where it's just like oh this is starkly obvious it basically like is just coming short of saying lover like but if you have any any sort of sense it is clear that like they're talking about a gay couple um yeah we'll yeah. We'll, we'll get to, yeah we'll get to this later Let, let's get back to the, the issue um big prison fight scene it's good it's fine um i, I like mm-hmm. all that then we move back to the avengers mansion Oh, no, no, the X-Mansion, right? Because Carol Danvers has been hanging out with the X-Men, kind of recovering. And Professor X has been helping her recover her memories. And all the Avengers show up to, you know, like, see how she's doing. And she decides, she's like, I need to be alone with the Avengers. And then she just lays out, like, several pages of her just, like, completely, I don't know, like, laying out the case for how horrible they were to her. Like, he said that he, like, manipulated me with Amortis's, like mind machines. like He uh, manipulated mm-hmm. my mind to impregnate me and to make me fall in love with him. And all of you were just like, oh, fun, a baby. And like, Hank, you wanted to play teddy bear. And Janet, you were like just excited about the baby. And then all of you were so happy for me to just send me away with the man who... I mean, like basically just laying out all the criticisms that we have of that issue like as readers. Yeah, right. And it right. is just like... Is but so but pretty eloquently, too, because unab- it's a
0: hard thing to summarize.
1: It is, and it, yeah, I mean, they summarize the whole issue, and, like, and it is just, like, unapologetically, like, this was nasty, and, like, the character screwed up, and by, you know, like, subtext, the creator screwed up, right?
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, which is a, again, like, the, one of the writers who kind of disowned knowledge of the issue, but was Jim Shooter, and he's still the editor-in-chief, right, as we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, So, to turn around and kind of be, like, our, you know, it's kind of like turning around and being, like, here's why, I'm, here's where my boss made a mistake, um to a degree yeah. with with delivering the issue this way. I just yeah, I think like I said, it's it's eloquent. It's essential to say in order to hold the Avengers accountable, in order to be able to move Carol forward in a way that she's going to now in very interesting ways with the X Men in the pages of Uncanny. Um it's it's remarkable work and it's like it does all that work inside of a fun Brotherhood of Evil Mutants comic. Like, right. how do and, you pull those strings together? I just think it's And amazing. also,
1: like, lends an emotional weight to Carol, like, makes Carol seem like a real person <laughs> who's at the center of her yeah. own story here, right? Like, yeah. the, the, only, the only little nitpick it, I'd have... Doesn't it help
0: her move past this, don't you think? Huh? Like, when Say you that, think yeah. of... I think it helps her <laughs> move past this kind of traumatic in-universe story beat in a way that, th- like, this thing, we all, if you're a fan of, like, the Marvel Universe, you might know about it now, but you also could easily be a Carol Danvers fan and have no idea that this weird thing happened. And I think this is the issue that allows for that. Because I I was thinking about this, and like, there's a Hank Pym, Janet Van Dyne story we're going to read that comes to define Hank Pym. We're going to read that very soon. In a way that still defines Hank Pym. Yeah. And I think Avengers 200 potentially could have been that for Carol, but it's not, I don't think. And I think it's because of this issue. It allows her to go on to become Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel in the way that we know her now because it's like it's her voicing what went wrong and in in very kind of careful ways um, that just like says you know it, it's kind of just an admission of guilt. Like, yeah, for Marvel, it is, yeah. I it's mean, like, like hey, we, we know that to up.
1: like um, the thing I was just thinking of is The Simpsons when like all that Apu stuff was really coming to a head. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. like. Marge and Lisa have a conversation about Apu and they're just like, you know, they look at the camera and they're like, something that started a while ago that was fun then is now politically incorrect. What can you do? And they're like, some things will be dealt with at a later date, if at all. You know, and then just like basically, yeah, we're going to talk about it, but we're just going to like kind of shrug and shuffle off responsibility. This feels like the brush off and
0: brush off any any accountability. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, so the only nitpick I would have about this is that it does a little bit of framing of, like, this will be a learning experience for the Avengers, and that might be a, a silver lining, which is, like, kind of a gross... Uh, which I think Vision
0: like, literally says at the end of it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something to the effect of, like, well, I, I don't know exactly how it phrases it. I d- definitely I think the intention armor from that speech or that monologue is, like the, like, well, this is horrible, but, you know... I guess we can learn from it and do better next time. The the um, better way of saying that would be wrong. like,
1: you know, we need to not just like wallow in our guilt, but we need to use this to learn and become better. Right. Like we need to, right. to use this right. as a growing experience, uh, you know, because otherwise we'd be doing a disservice to Carol if we, you know, don't listen to her here. Right. That's like the way to phrase it. Yeah. The phrase is a little bit as like, if there's one good thing to come out of this is that we're all going to learn a great lesson. Like, which is. A, a yeah. Little bit I of mean, that. it's like, not
0: it doesn't have like a, you know, the sun is rising and they're all like, well, glad we got that out of the way. I know. But e- even Carol says the a positive same positive thing file of, feel of feel like, to it. you know.
1: Hopefully you can all just learn a lesson from this and that will be like the positive thing that comes out of this, um,
0: which... Yeah, but it... I mean, she's in tears and they're in tears when she's saying it. Like yeah. that's not, yeah, yeah. the emotion is, it's clear. Um, okay, so that's Avengers Annual number 10. Yeah. Um, I, I was looking a little while you were talking there at what I was saying there about Claremont and his plans. Oh yeah? Probably the comparison to J.K. Rowling is harsh. <laughs> I do want to call myself on, I think. because oh, like... Uh, for people <laughs> who don't know, there's this famous thing where of now being like, well, Dumbledore was gay, but I never wrote it anywhere. Like it's just not textually there anywhere. Oh, right? Dobby, Dobby was um, uh,
1: trans, and uh, yeah, Ron it's, was it's autistic, become, and uh, I, it's you become
0: know. mockable because there's so many of them. Oh, right. she like keeps doing it. It's really ridiculous. And she keeps well, doing it with like very specific like sexual, you know, proclivities that just like aren't a part of her book for apparently like, it seems like she's doing it for the progressive cred yeah mcgonagall you know, was a good asexual
1: feels. representation it's clear if you look at it now that that's what i was doing
0: yeah yeah right um i think comparing claremont to that is probably quite unfair and yeah. incorrect no I, I knew what I you genuinely meant like don't generally don't
1: like that it might be a little bit of uh you know like having your cake after the fact right like
0: yeah well and i'm, I'm kind of thinking that in the context of like I don't know, like the Phoenix Saga or like where he's, you know, he writes these classic X-Men in 1986 to 1989 where he can go back and kind of look at like, hey, how do I flesh out motivations in a way that I didn't six years ago? But yeah. you can add a, you can add ideas and you can build things then. And it, again, like his his run kind of ends in 1991. Maybe he would have done a lot more um, sure. of these yeah. types of things. So I I don't know. Yeah. yeah All yeah, right. Oh, no.
1: Last on uh, the list, Thor Annual number nine. Saving
0: the absolute best for last <laughs> this is kind of a weird one right i added this in uh this yeah, most recent <laughs> round just because i was curious uh oh. to read this one it's got dormammu and odin playing chess on the cover that was that was my hook um it's, it's, it's written by uh, chris claremont to continue the claremont special there is to it. yeah it's got luke mcdonnell pencils uh he goes on to do some work with Jon Ostrander, camille on suicide squad over on dc vince Colletta sure. still around doing inks that's awesome oh did you see uh, that? yeah though? dormammu Wait. Did you,
1: did you see that Comic Tropes video about Vince Coletta today?
0: Just eviscerating him? No.
1: Oh, <laughs> like, no. Yeah, it's Comic Tropes video called, like, uh, How Vince Coletta Ruined Jack Kirby's Artwork. It's just basically like... Really? Yeah, it's a whole video about how <laughs> how poorly... Oh,
0: I have to uh, watch that because I don't, I don't know anything about that.
1: Yeah, I guess he just kind of, like, uh, you know, really rushed through Jack Kirby's artwork, including, like, sometimes just erasing some of Jack Kirby's art to, uh, to get it done quicker. Oh, man. So, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I will be curious to watch that because yeah, that, yeah. that's definitely not an observation you or i came away with on fantastic Four. i mean vince collettic kind of left no impression
1: i don't remember like at least after the fact i don't remember if i had anything to say about him at the time uh he's just yeah. like a name i recognize but i don't particularly like yeah totally when i see him from yeah. from being
0: around um okay yeah so so yeah this is a thing where odin and Dormammu were playing chess <laughs> I just was kind and, of uh, confused. And of Thor the whole goes thing. into domestic realms like, uh, I, like Doctor Strange. So basically, yeah. Thor has a Doctor Strange issue, and yep, uh, sure, it's kind of the whole issue is kind of like, hey, maybe Doctor Strange should have Doctor Strange issues, and uh, <laughs> and Thor can stay up in space or on Asgard. I right? genuinely like it's, didn't it's really fine.
1: understand the stakes of what were happen- what was happening the
0: entire time. It's all kind of hallucinatory and and strange, but, like and not Thor's, in a good way. He's literally way seeing that makes things. Me not know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So Thor's getting manipulated by Umar, who is the sister of Dormammu. Um so a lot of the things like he comes back to Asgard and he's like ah demons everywhere and everyone around him's like what? <laughs> what are you talking which about? Which the spell um, the spell so... is put
1: on everybody but Thor. It's like everybody is hallucinating not seeing the demons, which seems like a lot right. harder to do. Than oh, the- oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, they that. later like they say something like that where like Thor's the only one who's seeing things clearly. Like he sees things as they oh. actually are. Everybody else is like, you know, Thor's the only one who's actually seeing all the demons and weird light shows and
0: That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Some of the visuals funny. are okay, um,
1: but I generally was kind yeah. of checked out through this whole thing.
0: Yeah, it, it's a... It's I, a very, I mean, I like, I like the idea like Dormammu of and
1: Odin having this weird connection. I like Odin being somewhat tight. Like, he's not just this Asgardian figure. Like, he's got yeah, a, a right. place in the cosmic world, right? Like, he's um, he knows Dormammu. Yeah. He's friends with Galactus, you know, like. Yeah, I think that's thing. a
0: cool idea, but it doesn't really get brought out here. Um, I think importantly, Dormammu and Owen's game ends in a stalemate. And it always <laughs> so, does because they're like. So the, no one the, actually wins.
1: You know, uh, it's the avatars of order and chaos and like literally order and chaos. The cosmic entities watch their game every time they play. Yeah. And like. I yeah, See,
0: I that idea, you know, it's like um, it's like Doctor Doom every year doing his annual sojourn to hell to save his mom yeah i I would actually like this idea of an odin Dormammu chess match watched by lord chaos and master order annually um as just this weird thing that happens in the marvel universe but to my knowledge uh it has not continued maybe it is yeah it's a i mean
1: it's a fun concept the rest of it is just kind of like thor is running around not really knowing what's going on and
0: neither do i so yep Yep. yep, yep, yep. So, ending on that exciting note, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> this yep. is my marvelous year. 1981 Part 2, we are going to uh, continue with some very interesting comics. We're going to have Iron Man and Doctor Doom going into Camelot. We're going to have some good John Byrne on Fantastic Four. We're going to have the introduction of Doug Munch and Bill Sienkiewicz on Moon Knight. I'm excited about that. Oh, hey, did and, you... And uh, some big Avengers developments as well. You know
1: what I just found out about? Did you know that, um... What's his name? Panther's Rage Guy. Um, Don McGregor. Don McGregor. Um, came back for another Panthers run in the uh, the late 80s called like Panther Quest.
0: Panther Quest. I know yeah, it's, the it's series in, title, but I haven't actually read it's,
1: it. it. It's printed in the, um, it's like a 10 page feature spread across like 30 issues of, I think, Marvel Comics Presents, something like that in like 86, okay. 87. yeah. Apparently, very yeah. good and very much like a good follow up to his uh, Panthers Rage stuff. So maybe. maybe well, we I'm definitely planning on investigating an eye on that. for yeah, it's all. Uh, it's all, all in Marvel updates. Unlimited. Yeah. And it's it's all 10 page stories. It's like a bunch of 10 page beats. Perfect. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's give it a look. See. Yeah. But looking forward to
1: 1981 right. part two, specifically like Fantastic Four. That's really what I'm uh, excited about for this. Yeah. Um, John Burns. Yeah, so
0: if you want to find those reading lists, again, they're in the show notes, and uh, you can find them over on Patreon.com slash MyMarvelousYear, where you can also support the show and find added benefits. Music for the show, is by Peace. Thank you, Disaster Peace, for the excellent music. I'm Dave. This is Zach. Hey. We are My Marvelous Year, and we will see you next year. See you next year. <laughs>